0: Joe
1: Rogan podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan
2: experience.
0: Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. What's
3: happening? How you doing? Good, good to see you, brother. Good to see What's you. What's cracking? I was looking earlier, I'm like, when's the last time we did the podcast? It was two years ago. Oh. Ah. September of 2021. A lot's changed since then.
2: Yeah, that was in the height of the madness.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yes, we still have... a. Uh, the GOAT as the president, Joseph, which is doing <laughs> a really good job. He's, he's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, amazing that they still keep rolling him out there. Yeah. What t- do you think, I mean, there's still a solid year left. I can't imagine he's actually going to make it to the 2024
3: 20, elections. I just don't believe it. You, you know what was kind of weird, what I saw the other day on Twitter? I saw an ad from Newsom uh, for campaigns. So I'm like, what are you doing? What's the outcome of you raising money right now? It's not like you're you know, running for governor or you need to start raising money now. So what's this all about? So that clip, uh, uh, the ad I saw for two days of newsome that kind of made me think. I remember um, four years ago. I don't know if you remember this event. It's four years ago. And Joe Biden's not on Instagram at all. So he's not on Instagram. He's not doing anything all of a sudden every oh, Joe, you know Joseph Biden he's on Joe Biden's on Instagram and I put a comment first comment all this means is he's running okay this is pre him announcing that he's going to run right and I'm bone cuz what's Joe Biden going to do on Instagram you know put a picture of who is you know, you know what he's doing pictures with Hunter pictures with his seventh granddaughter you know you're not you're not going to know what he's going to put up there right so when you see signs with Newsom doing that there's something there you know with uh uh, whether these guys are planning for taking him out. I had Chris Cuomo on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things I remember during COVID, I don't know if you remember this, every day we would see Andrew Cuomo. Every day. And the conversation was, this guy's going to be the next president. Look how presidential he is. You know, the, the, the vast difference between two guys from New York, one acts presidential, the other one doesn't. If Andrew ran today, he would be the president. And every day, you know, you go on Facebook, he's doing this thing, he's eating... And then, uh, okay, maybe this guy's gonna do it. And he's on the show always with Chris and they're doing their stuff. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is gonna happen. And then all of a sudden, his own party chose to eliminate him because he couldn't be controlled. So the the thing about the Democratic Party sometimes, it could be both sides. uh, I think if they choose to eliminate Biden, it's gonna be two, three, four stories on what they're gonna say. He's choosing to step away due to health, you know, my wife and I had a conversation. Jill, we're going to spend more time with the grandkids. Uh, and if he doesn't do it, then they're going to come out and they're going to say, listen, man, we got a lot of dirt on you, bro. You got to kind of step away if you want to protect your legacy or 81. We're going to have somebody else come in here. Notice Newsom's been edifying you and propping you up, and Newsom trashes DeSantis, and he's edifying you. This is a way of Newsom to come out if he thinks, because I think Newsom thought it's going to be him and DeSantis, because DeSantis has maybe thought – He's going to fall out. Trump's going to f- uh, drop out. And News- Newsom's maybe thinking about that as well. <laughs> and, and then, so Newsom's going to come out and say, look, you know, DeSantis is not loyal. How do you trust a man that wasn't loyal to the guy that helped him become a governor without Trump? DeSantis think would he would say that? I think he would say that. And then he would say, but look how loyal Newsom was to the very end to Biden. I think that is a good storyline for them to redirect the world. Now, listen, I'm purely speculating, but. It I don't is think what it is. there's
2: any value in being loyal to Biden, especially as time comes on and more and more corruption get exposed. I, I do not think that there's any value in that. I don't think they're going to do that. If I had to guess, it, Biden steps down due to a variety of reasons, health reasons, age, he can't do it anymore, and then the corruption. The massive amounts of corruption. It depends on how far the Republicans pursue this yeah. and how much traction they get with a massive amount of corruption that's available. I feel like if this was Trump that was in office, every single newspaper would be talking about it nonstop. They'd be screaming for him to be removed from office.
3: I don't disagree. Uh, I don't disagree. How they get away with it now, when you're hearing everybody from the other say how they're weaponizing the justice system to eliminate a candidate, uh, I don't know if you're following what Vivek said yesterday. He came out and says, look, I want to compete against Trump, but not by using some like this and what they're doing on the other side. All I'm saying is, if Newsom shows that he's being respectful of Biden, because what is your theory of why DeSantis is not having momentum? What do you think about when you think about DeSantis? Trump. He
2: doesn't have the personality. I, don't, I just don't think he can compete with Trump. Trump has just this. Cult behind him. I mean, these people that love Trump, that he's their yeah. hero, and the things that he says, the bombastic personality, the way he can control a room, the way he speaks in an arena of screaming fans, like, and makes people laugh, and says things that they want to hear. Desantis can't do that. I mean, he did a great job with Florida, and and people mm-hmm. loved his. Position as a governor in Florida, but I feel like he's fucking that up.
3: You think he should have ran? No. Oh, no, so you don't even I don't think he so. should have ran? I don't ran.
2: think he can beat Trump. As long as Trump doesn't get arrested, as long as he is you know, he's been indicted again, and you know who knows where that goes. But if Trump's not in jail, he can't beat him. Yeah. And the people that that love Trump, they feel like this is a witch hunt, and they feel like all the things he's getting indicted for are bullshit anyway. It does. Not only does it not work, but it kind of hardens their position Mm -hmm. that he's being targeted and that this is these are like the the actions of a banana republic you take your political rival and you arrest him and specifically you charge him with things that you're fucking guilty of like the 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 documents like the classified documents biden's guilty of the exact same issue
3: you you gotta respect the a Level of deceptiveness that's been used. I mean you, look at what Hillary did going and saying hey, it's Russia But it was really you know what she was doing and now they're using a similar play as well I don't know. I, it, did you did you ever because I remember when I was in uh, when we did uh, we were there at the show uh, Was it in Jacksonville you were performing and it was UFC all of it combined to get I think DeSantis was there watching right? Yeah. I think he came to the show did, did you and him ever talk about him getting on the show or no you guys uh...
2: um, I talked to him
3: I said hi to him. Okay, met him. but you've never invited him to be on the no. show. Okay <laughs> Here's what I'll tell you from my experience with his camp, which is kind of weird for me. So Everybody you speak to from Vivek's camp RFK's camp Trump's camp like this they get back to you They'll just get back to you. Here's what's going on. Here's what we are Every time you try to get a hold of anybody from DeSantis' camp, good luck. And by the way, it doesn't matter if it's like, you know, we go and we meet with them in, um, in uh, uh, Tallahassee. I sit down and I meet him and his wife, Casey, rock star. Casey's something else. And DeSantis is a genius when it comes down to policies and all that stuff, but maybe not a marketer. Whether it's Christina, whether it's this other guy calls me the other day saying, hey, they're telling me you're having a hard time getting a hold of us. I said, no, no, we're not having a hard time getting a hold of anybody. You guys call, but you never call back afterwards about doing something together. So then that gets me to think, now all the interviews that he's doing with people, the first question everyone's asking is, why do you think you're rating so low? Why do you think you had to do this? Why do you think you had to do that? I think their marketing mistake was big, not coming out the gates early on. And they're suffering the consequences because he has to now answer the question he doesn't want to answer constantly. So I don't know. You know, then the other conversation is, is this guy ever going to be able to be a president? Is that ever going to happen? Is he, you know, marketable enough to do that? No one knows. But I think their marketing team screwed up. Or imagine your handlers, people that are your handlers. Okay. If they come, if I go to your handler and I say, hey, here's what we like to do something with Joe. Let's just say you and I have never had any interaction together. I'd like to pitch Joe XYZ show or do this. Okay. He says, let me get back to you. If they're professionals, there's one of two things that happens. One, he comes up to you. If he doesn't get back to me, my interpretation is Joe's not interested. Right. Or they forgot to follow up. Okay. Because they're so busy. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt that they forget to follow up. But if it happens three different camps, it's not the team. You don't want to do a lot of these tough long form interviews. So I don't know. This is going to be a very uh, interesting election cycle to see what will happen. Um, I don't think a lot of people think Joe's going to be there at the end. The well, also,
2: t- Kamala, what do they do with her? Oh, my God. If he, if he steps down, what do they do with her? Do people demand that she runs? Like
3: I, that's- th- I think one person will lose their minds if Joe steps down. One person would absolutely lose her shit. You know who that is? Who? Hillary. Yeah. She's not the first. Kamala right. becomes the first president. You know, if, if he steps down before right. or if he finishes, I mean, that's, that's some crazy stuff right there.
2: Yeah. I just can't imagine the United States wants President Kamala Harris. I don't think anybody wants that. Nobody wants that. I mean, they may, maybe some people would prefer that over President Trump, but nobody wants that. And nobody wants President Newsom either. Nobody believes in that guy. It's, the guy's a fucking con, man. I mean, everything he did in California, from trying to mandate vaccines for kids, when it was totally unnecessary, to being caught out in public without a mask and lying about the fact that he was outdoors. Yeah. All of it. It's just nobody believes in that guy. He's just a politician, just a stone cold, narrative driven politician. You know, and it's, nobody thinks he's a real human. Whether you like Trump or not, whether you think it's co- he's corrupt or not, that's a human being. You you know yeah. you know his, you know what that guy is. Same thing with RFK Jr. Whether you believe that he's correct about vaccines or whether you believe his policies would be effective and you you know that's a human being. With Newsom, you've got like this construct. This this cardboard cutout of a person. It's just I don't think people want that. But they might want it more than they want President Trump and that's where we got Joe Biden. We didn't get Joe Biden because Joe Biden's amazing. Joe Biden's been a goof his whole fucking career. He's always been a goof. He's always been he's been caught lying so many times yeah. he's so full of shit there's so much evidence that he's corrupt just undeniable evidence of corruption and the stuff with him and his son and then the, the guy who just testified that was business partners with uh, with hunter yeah. who talked about all the different things that joe was involved with Evan archer yeah yeah it's fucking undeniable and the fact that they that mainstream news is
3: ignoring this except for right wing media, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, but on the back end, when they flip, they're all united when they flip, meaning. Right, if they go after him, like they did with Cuomo. Exactly, so to me, Andrew Cuomo is a case study of what's about to come. Like, it's a conversation where whoever that guy is, whoever the guy is, there's gotta be a guy that makes the phone call, right, that guy can talk to him. And they say, Joe, it's time. We gotta figure something out, and you gotta step away. And we're gonna protect your legacy, Netflix has already agreed to do a massive four-part series docu- documentary on your life, and we got you a thirty million dollar deal with Simon and Schuster. Okay, and outside of that, you're good. You're scored away. You're going to get this award. You're going to get that award, and your wife's going to get this, and you're going to get this, and you don't have to worry about pardon all this. But you got to step away. That person's going to make the phone call, especially to the people when you're part of the establishment. That person can't make the phone call to the anti-establishment people but that person can make the phone call to the establishment people. And he's full blown establishment, 50 years, if you want to, you know, 60 years. The Newsom thing is a little bit interesting. I think Newsom is 10 times more marketable than Biden. Uh, When Newsom went on Hannity, I don't know if you saw it or not. Most people said Newsom won. And, and, oh my God, it, it, it was, he did a very good job representing himself as a politician. First of all. What what you're doing is you're going in enemy territory, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity is a Trump guy, so you're willing to go to anybody and you go to him. You didn't go to somebody that's a little safer. You went straight to him. And afterwards, everyone's like, you know, Newsom showed up, he did this, he did that. So if Newsom takes a page out of Trump's playbook to go against opposition, he shows strength, Democrats are just gonna get behind somebody and they got a behemoth of a machine to start talking about why he's such a hero, why he's such a this, you know, why he's so noble. So, uh, you know, the other part, Joe, that uh, RFK is uh, confusing a lot of these guys, RFK and Vivek, what are the two guys doing? They're going on podcasts. They're going everywhere. Yeah. And and some of these guys are not realizing the power of you yet, the power of the podcast model, the power of Freedman's, the power of going and talking to the people, because it's digital. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm looking at the video here, 15-minute clip, five-minute clip, Twitter short clip. So I think this could be the first case study um, where mainstream media for an election, this could be the last one where they have a little bit of an advantage. I think it's about to be done for them.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think so, too.
3: Well, it's it's a terrible format. I mean, mainstream media has always been
2: hampered by the fact they have ads every seven minutes. It's always been the every conversation has to is only allowed to have a certain amount of depth to it because you can't expand on things. You can if you have like something very complicated to discuss, you need to let someone talk without any interruption. And then there needs to be some back and forth. That takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time Mm -hmm. for someone to clearly establish. When you're talking about the facts of a a very important piece of policy or a very important situation that's going on in America, like, say, the border crisis, you can't talk about the border crisis in five minutes. It's super complicated. You can't talk about Title 42 in 40 minutes. You can't talk about any of these things in a short amount of time. You need hours. You need to be able to expand for hours and not be interrupted by commercial breaks. But they're hampered by that model. It's always going to be, and then they're also hampered by the fact that you don't get individual, unique voices and perspectives. You get narrative-driven, policy-driven, ideologically-driven hosts who are they are contained by whatever system that they're a part of. They're contained by their executives and the producers and the people behind the scenes, and they only have so much leeway for opinion. We saw that with Tucker. Tucker v- ventured outside of that, and he, he had... A podcast voice on network television. Mm-hmm. So you had a guy that was saying what he believed about the intelligence agencies, about the FBI's interference into the, the, the protests of the Capitol, about Pfizer and Moderna and what they've done with the drugs, about the lab leak, about Anthony Fauci, about all these different things. Like he essentially was treating network television like a podcast. And with great success the number one guy on TV. That's right, and they kicked him off.
3: Yep that's and right. They, they kicked him off at the top of the heap, which is just madness. So i got a question for you. So uh, in, in regards to Tucker uh, We're not you know professional psychoanalyzers, but we're just speculating and having a conversation when you think about Tucker w- What do you think his play is meaning? Do, do you does Tucker come across as a guy to you that wants to be the next Rupert Murdoch billionaire Do you say? I think this guy wants to be a billionaire. That's one. Two, do you get the vibe from Tucker's like, look, I, I just want to do podcasts, be left alone. I don't want to work for anybody. I want to do my own thing, and that's it. Or three, do you get the vibes from Tucker that Tucker wants to be a Netanyahu, a Churchill, a guy that is... You know, journalist that's been debating everybody, has been reading every issue for the last 20, 30 years. He was went through the phase of John Stewart sitting there on crossfire when he had a bow tie on trying to bully him and then he comes out and crushes everybody, Tucker does. What do you think is his play? You think it's billions, you think it's just being left alone and let me live my life, or you think it's actually maybe he wants to make a run for 2028?
2: Well, what he's doing is very profitable, right? Like what he's doing, he's make, he makes a tremendous amount of money talking about things from his perspective. Uh, I think he's going to continue to do that. Whether or not he decides to become a politician, I don't know if he has any aspirations about that. Do you?
3: Do you ever know when somebody does?
2: Mm. Yeah, when someone's involved in politics in that extent where you're talking about it constantly and you know the insides and the outsides, you you know all the bullshit and all the shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you would probably have at least an idea of how you would do it differently and better and he's also got a very popular voice like if he decided to run for president like say if trump let's just make a scenario trump wins in 2024 he has four years if tucker went to run in 2028 he could win he really could win because it would be kind of carrying those policies but also he's a Sort of a no-nonsense guy who exposes mm-hmm. bullshit yeah. in a pretty humorous way, in a very insightful and biting way. And that's what he was really good at on his television show. Yeah. And he red-pilled a lot of left-wing people. There's a lot of left-wing people during the pandemic that's a Tucker Carlson's a propagandist, and he's a mm-hmm. piece of shit, and is a right-wing asshole. And then as time went on, they were like, he's saying a lot of shit that's right like why are they locking these tests why are they making kids wear masks like is there any science to it you know there's actually science that just came out recently that said wearing an n95 mask for more than an hour a day is actually bad for you yeah it, it, like you could get b- b- health problems from yeah. wearing one of those fucking things all now the time. we're now we're being told this stuff yeah now we're being told this, yeah and then new
3: york times came out saying a third of the deaths could be exaggerated i don't know if you saw that yeah. or not yeah
2: Well, Lena Nguyen on CNN said she thinks the actual death rate is 30% of what they said it was. And then you have the death rates that are due to those ventilators. How many people Mm -hmm. died that would have lived because of ventilators? Then you have all the other things that could have been done. You know, how, how many people could have been helped with different treatments that were made illegal or were prohibited? The, 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 the treatments that were prohibited, like some of them were monoclonal antibodies, like, which are absolutely effective. Like, what the fuck are they doing? Well, they had one idea, and that idea was make sure that people get vaccinated. And anything that takes away from that, including thymosin. Thymosin is a peptide that people are using to help battle COVID. Well, they made it illegal. They banned thymosin, which is, there's no negative effects of thymosin. There's no peer-reviewed data that show it's dangerous. Meanwhile, fentanyl's still legal. You can still get, they're not stopping fentanyl. It's not legal, but it's not, like, they're not stopping opiates. They're not stopping all these things that we know absolutely do kill people and absolutely do cause harm and absolutely are addictive. They're not going out of their way to Why get rid of that. Why do you think, Why do you think? Because they want to make an extraordinary amount of money. The best way to make that extraordinary amount of money is to have one solution. Yeah. You have one thing you can do and you have to take this experimental vaccine that now we're finding out has massive health risks.
3: Yeah, it's it's pretty wild when you think, by the way, when you talk about Tucker, uh, what you were doing on the podcast space, he was doing on the mainstream space. like yes. right? Very interesting. Now, when you think about talent. I'm sure if Fox invites you and says, hey, Joe, we'd love to have you on a guest for a 10-minute segment like that, I'm not doing no 10-minute segment. It's it's probably not going to be your style to go on Newsmax or Fox or CNN to give a 15 minute answer that you give. America doesn't want that anymore, right? And a lot of these guys that have these TV shows, for them to go from there to doing a podcast, they think it's easy. It's not for everybody. You know, you're used to reading a teleprompter, hey, so earlier today at 6 p.m., you know, Devin Archer did this, right? But Tucker is comfortable there. Right. You know, when he did the Iowa event with the Blaze and he's up there interviewing everybody, boom. You know, he goes after ISA. So, you know, now that you know everything that you know, uh, did you take the COVID vaccine and how do you feel about the decision? Right. And he says, Did you take any of the vaccine? No. Mike Pence. Hey, so you know now that you're this, you know, what do you think about that? Da 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 da. Well, I'm glad you're paying attention that I'm running. Yes, but how about this, right? Yeah. One by one by one by one, that is very scary. It's not a duplicatable skill set for a guy like him to do, right. Tucker. But the key is, is this guy gonna get the itch? Because at the turning point USA event with Charlie Kirk, afterwards, I'm asking everybody, and I want to know who stole the show. You know, like at UFC fights, the guy, gets, hey, $50 mm-hmm. bonus you're going to give? That's, maybe it's not the main card, but it's someone that steals the show. Right. Okay. It was 60-40. Trump's 60-40 Tucker. Yeah. So it's like Tucker's coming in to, you know, but, but the part that he's not doing right now is, which I think is going to work in his favor, he's not going in there saying, I'm not running this time around. You know, he comes out and says in 2028 – And imagine if a, let's just say Trump wins and he runs 2028 and Trump's endorsing him. I mean, he could be in office for eight years. He could. I think no one is gonna run against Trump in the Republican
2: side and win because you're not gonna get the Trump supporters. They are all in on Trump. Unless he has a stroke, unless something happens that's horrible, they're all in on Trump. If you run against Trump, you're now the enemy of Trump. If I was friends with DeSantis, I'd be like, don't do it. You can't beat that guy. You just can't. When that guy gets out there and he's waving to people and they're going crazy, you're not beating that. There's a fucking, and the fact that he was the president for four years and the country was in a, a, a great economic situation, yeah. and it looked like his policies were actually effective, and that it looked like the unemployment was down, all business mm-hmm. was building, regulations were being relaxed, more things were getting done. You know, when you look at it from a policy perspective, if you just look at it on paper, what he did was effective. A lot of people think it was effective. You don't like him as a personality, so you ignore that. Don't do that. Look at it in terms of a policy perspective. People liked the ideas that he was putting forward. And now you're saying like, oh, the wall is raised. Now the, the fucking, everybody thinks there needs to be a wall. Even the mayor of mm-hmm. New York City mm-hmm. is now calling to stop immigration That's into his right. city. And this was the guy that called it for it to be a sanctuary state. When the reality of what your policies, what what kind of actions you put forth, what what the results of that are, and those results are highly negative, you're forced to sort of recollect. Recollect your thoughts Mm -hmm. and come up with a, a, a new perspective. And that's what the mayor of New York City is doing right now. When you just look at what Trump's policies were, and then obviously COVID hits, There's a lot to that. The lockdowns, the the economic collapse, all the shit that came with that, that all none of that is good. And then Trump holds up this like hope to bring us back to where we were when he was in office. You're not going to beat that. I don't think they're going to beat that. I don't, I don't think, when you look at the Russia collusion, when you look at the Steele dossier, when you look at all the bullshit they tried to throw at him that we now know is bullshit, not just bullshit, yeah. but coordinated bullshit, when you look at the fact that they suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story and that 51 intelligence agency representatives signed off on that to say that this was Russian disinformation, which we know they know is not true, that's scary. Because now you have the intelligence agencies colluding to keep a guy from being president that was president during a time where the country was thriving economically. This is you're not going to beat that guy. Would you would he get your vote? He'd get my vote. before. (coughs) Excuse me. He'd get my vote before Biden. I said that before. I don't think that I I never thought that Biden was going to make it. I never never thought that he was going to be functional. You know, like regardless of what what kind of power the president actually has, and it appears under Trump, the president has a lot more power than we think they do. But under Biden, it's like he's handled, like he's just out there yeah. talking and saying like, the real problem is Donald Trump. Donald Trump, what he's done is terrible. He did to office; it's all nonsense. It's like t- everyone's treating him with kid gloves because they don't want to prop up Trump. They don't want to go after him because it'll weaken the Democratic Party.
3: So, so when are you having Trump on? I don't
2: know.
3: Okay. The look, I don't know. Maybe. Looks like you got something maybe. Okay, good. That's good. I think that's uh, I
2: at a certain point in time, it's just like it would be interesting to hear his perspective on a lot of things. I would like to know what is it like when you actually get in the office. I would like to know things like what what is it like versus perception? Yeah. What is it actually like when you get in that building? Like what 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 are you greeted with? When do you know that people are fucking with you? When do you know that the intelligence agency is lying to you? Like, when you decided to fire Comey, what was the thought? How much did you know? Like, what? what's the machine like? What is, what is the deep state really like? Really like? Because we have all these, you know, smoky room perceptions, like from the Bill Hicks joke, where they show you the Kennedy assassination from an angle you've never seen before. You know, what is... The machine that runs this country because it's very clear that it's not as simple as elected representatives that are doing the will of the people. It's not.
3: Yeah. You, you know, when I was thinking about you uh, uh, interviewing Trump, and I know you've said in the past, you know, I would never help him. I think you said it on Alex. And then you turn to Alex and you say, like, would you interview Putin? You know, and he's, you guys got that yeah, yeah. moment together. And then I saw how you opened up RFK's interview, which, by the way, incredible, the way you opened it up, the whole conversation back and forth. And you said, look, I thought you were this. I thought you were that. I thought you were this. And then, boom, you do the interview, and people are like, well, I kind of like this guy. you know? I kind of like what he's doing. And he's been out there getting whatever number he's at right now, 15, 16, 17%. I think if you think about the most complicated, misunderstood person, In our generation, let's just say if we say the last 30 years, where would you put Trump as the most misunderstood, complicated person that we've had in America in the last 30 years? I don't
2: know if it's misunderstood. I think for sure they have distorted who he is and magnified his faults and even said things that are absolutely not true, like the Russia collusion thing. I mean, that was the narrative that he was a puppet of Russia yeah. and that we're going to get him off into office. And he was a traitor and he's really in the pocket of Russia. And that was the steel dossier. They had information on him. Hookers are peeing on him. By the way, if he really did have a party and the hookers were peeing on him and all, all that crazy, you really think that that would hurt him? I don't even think it would hurt him. No, I don't think not it would him. Hurt
3: him. He's untouchable. I with had stuff a good like
2: time. It. Yeah. Those girls, they had. Plastic sheets.
3: Yeah, what's wrong with golden showers? He's going to make something up, you know. <laughs> and people would go, who
2: cares? Who cares? He, he's going to fucking yeah. prop up the economy. Yeah. Who cares? He's yeah. going to make things healthy again.
3: Well, I think you would break the internet uh, when you do that. You know, I, w- I had a, a Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on, and we're having a conversation with them. Here's what I asked them, and I disagree, but I'm curious. Well, you can't really answer this one, but it's something that we can be thinking about. I said, listen, can you imagine 10 years ago Joe Rogan saying he's going to vote Republican or he's going to vote for Trump or even six years ago, him saying that, right? Can you imagine Elon Musk saying that six years ago, seven years ago, Um, both of them left the state, California. That's a bad look for Newsom. It's not a good thing. You're here. He's here. Uh, I know right now Elon's kind of playing the card of San Francisco. We're not going to leave. We're not going to do this because Twitter X, all that stuff. Great. That's a completely different position he's taken, but what, what is the power What is the power of a, uh, a, a Musk or a you all of a sudden saying, yeah, I'm not voting for Joe Biden, but I would consider voting for Trump? What does that do? See, that's the stuff that I don't think we know the case study of yet. We don't know what the impact is. A lot of people, when you talk who are Joe Biden people, you know, both sides can be pretty delusional. A, a percentage of them can be delusional. Joe Biden's a great guy. What are you talking about? Family guy, great father. You know, all this stuff, he's, he's fantastic. He's just sweet. He's loving. He's caring. He doesn't have a temper. That's just the right-wing people that are doing that stuff. It's a QAnon type of people that are saying that. Okay. Then there's the people that say stuff about Trump, and they'll defend at all costs. Perfect. The question becomes, uh, with Trump, statistics, if that New York Post article, the tweet, was out, and they didn't block it, would you have still voted for, no way? So Trump would have been president. Yes. Okay. If, and this is asking liberals, if there was no COVID, would you have still voted for Trump? Well, forget about it. If there's no COVID, Trump's getting reelected. Okay, great. All these ifs that you go with, if, 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 it's all yes, Trump, yes, Trump, yes, Trump, two terms. So now today there is a group of people, Joe, that are Republicans who are, who are convinced Trump can't win. They don't believe he can win. They're convinced, believe it or not, they don't think this guy can win. Okay, and these are not lightweight people. Why do they
2: think he can't win? So the rationale—they're
3: like, there's no way he's going to win. I mean, look what happened. Are these the same
2: people that thought he couldn't win in 2016?
3: No, some of them are the guys that supported him. You know, some of them, like you know, Bill Barr comes out and says, you know, if if he's the nominee, I'm going to jump off a bridge. I'm like Bill, which bridge? Because you're jumping off a bridge, right? It's going to be happen. Nominee? Who's going to come out and be a nominee? Who? You know, uh, uh, Vivek is kind of playing his cards in a way of being a VP. And you saw what Trump said the other day. Trump said, you know, I'm going to watch everybody to see who's going to fight that maybe I'm picking my vice president. What is he saying? Mm. I'm not going to be on the debate stage. Right. Right. When you see some of this stuff. So I don't know. There's a part where you think it's going to be a sweep and he's going to come in and win like 44 states like Reagan beat Carter. Something like that that could happen, which is like a underdog type of a situation or the dems have to move very quickly but i don't think they have a lot of time i think they got 30 days to move how much election fraud do you think is real here we go joe
2: you want to go to election fraud yeah cuz i don't think it's zero no it's no not way. zero i think we yeah. could all agree it's not zero no way it's not zero and we yeah. know that these voting machines can be fucked with yeah and we know yeah. that there's some irregularities uh, all that that carry lake stuff in mm-hmm. arizona yeah. that they're trying to dismiss it doesn't look like that's invalid. It looks like there's real fraud there. It looks like there's some real shenanigans there. At the very least, there was voting machines that weren't working properly and it seems very suspicious that a lot of them were in Republican areas. There's a lot of shenanigans. There's, a, And I think there's coordinated efforts to make sure that certain people get elected. I don't know how far they go, but I know it's
3: not zero. Yeah, and and okay, so... Election fraud. It's happened for a long time. It was a lot easier back in the days than it is today. A lot easier back in the days than it is today. You can always go back to the Dewey thing, you know, Chicago, John F. Kennedy, they thought they needed it, so they got 7,000 dead people to vote. All this, and then later on, yep. they're like, we never needed it in the first place. Dangly chads. That's right. Yeah. That's right. All of that. So. Uh, but then today, so this is where my skepticism comes in. This is where I get paranoid. As a Middle Eastern, we're naturally paranoid by nature. We don't trust a lot of things, but this is the skepticism. So TSA, November of 2001, Bush introduces us to TSA. Prior to November 2001, there was no TSA. You walked to the gate. Family could come and see you at the gate and wait for you. No moving forward is TSA. Today, if you go through TSA... All you do is give it the ID, boom, boom, you don't even show the ticket, go in, right? Okay. So why is it racist to do that when you're voting? Right. See, that that a logical person, I can see a Democrat defending that, knowing it's an edge for the other side strategically. I get it. If you understand what I'm saying. I can see you saying that no, I don't think that's fair for us to do. Hey guys, let's pull the racist card. This is going to be big for these guys. Totally get it. But to the independent or the reasonable Democrat that's sitting there saying, some of the stuff you guys are doing, I'm not part of this camp. I'm a JFK Democrat, let's just say, right? Right. Those guys are sitting there saying, I'm sorry, what? You just took my ID at TSA. I'm going on a flight to New York. You don't want to take my ID for voting? You don't want to do that? Right. You can check my eyes when I'm going to work to sign in to work and you go in there and go like this? Okay, great. He signed in at 858. Great. You don't want to do that for voting. You can't do some of that well, stuff. Well,
2: it's also at the same time they were doing with COVID vaccines, were, you you had to have a vaccine card. Yeah. At the same time you had to have yeah. an ID and a vaccine card to be able to work, to be able to travel, to be able to go anywhere. So they had implemented new rules at the same time they were trying to take away ID for voting. Hmm. M- taking away ID for voting makes zero sense. First of all, the idea that it's racist. Are you saying that some races are bad at getting IDs? Like, what are you saying? Like, shouldn't you just make it easier for them to get IDs than make it so that no one needs an ID? That's a good point. That makes no sense. Yeah. And also, at the same time, you'd have to be suspicious that they're allowing a a massive amount of illegal immigrants into this country constantly, daily. And you're supposing that those people are going to vote on your side if they don't need IDs to vote. I mean, that is that's the
3: suspicion. Right. Yeah. You get a couple million here. And then in 2024, like if you think about issues to run on, right, you go Trump ran on 2016 on what build a wall. All oh, these they're sending their worst. They're rapists. They're doing they're raping a woman. OK. And then he went after a couple different people. Um, you know, Obama ran on, you know, uh, 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 freedom or forward or whatever the dream. OK. Carter ran on human rights. Everybody runs on something. If they run on dream, dreamers, you know, let's legalize the dreamers that are here. Again, you got to give the Dems credit. Leave the border open. Let them come in 2024. We convert these guys to voters. We just got 2 million new voters. Right. Say 90% vote our side. Say 80% vote our sides. You know, I think the Hispanic vote is 64% Democratic right now. 36, you know, 36 is either independent or, you know, uh, uh, Republican. African American is still between 88 to 94 percent, 88 to 94 percent votes Democratic. Okay, so if they can convert that, that's another edge for them. But for me, the the fraud, voter fraud thing, if you're hesitant to want to check IDs, is it's just it's like a parent talking to their kids. So where were you last night? What time did you come home? Oh, Dad, you know I had a, a you know something happen, had a flat tire. Oh, you did? Yeah. Who changed it? Oh, my friend changed it. With which tire? I've had flat tires before, right? And you kind of watching your some bullshit. And you're like, I was 14 before, guy. Yeah, I'm in 16. I know what you're doing. I'm right. not a dummy. So when the government does stuff like that, the people that are sitting there paranoid, they're like, Why would you have a problem with this? The level of hypocrisy hurts them. So the climate change argument, for example, you know, well, we have to be worried about the future of our kids. You know what? What about this? Nothing is more important, Joe, than white supremacists and climate change. Nothing. You know, like, really, White are, ramp- yeah, climate change is dangerous. You see what's gonna happen. So, Greta Thunberg, the, I don't know if you saw that video. Well, she did, said
2: we have to protect the banks. Did, did you see that? her
3: doing the fake? Like, she's like, How dare you? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. she's just doing this thing. And, well, she's a kid. Yeah, but again, she, she fooled a lot of people, though. My like, g- girl's got six million followers on Twitter. Is that fooling people? Not really. She's a, she's a useful idiot, though. Yeah, well, that she's a, a young
2: lady with idealistic ideas and yeah. she's being used. She's a, a spokesperson. It doesn't make any sense that she's somehow a spokesperson for climate change. It's, a, it's bizarre and it's just, it's an influencer. It's the same reason why Dylan Mulvaney interviewed Biden. When he had been a woman for 320 days or whatever the fuck it
3: was. What a sweetheart. Yeah. yeah.
2: That's the same thing. It's like you're using influencers Yeah, in in this very bizarre way.
3: But you know Dylan likes girls. Yes. That's that's called being straight. Yeah.
2: It's it's called autogynophilia.
3: And you just wear a Halloween costume.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's you know, woman face. You put it on woman yeah. face. It's very strange. It's, it's appropriation. And <laughs> a lot of women feel very upset
3: about it. How do you, how do you feel yourself with this this whole thing? Um, I had uh, 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 I was having a wonderful peaceful conversation with this guy named Anthony Weiner. I don't know if you're familiar with the guy or not. Yeah. He's, a, he's a very uh, you know in- I, interesting guy. I saw guy. that podcast. Yeah. So so and I ask him a question uh, where I say, "So let me ask you, how good are you at giving blowjobs?" And he looks at me like, what "Kind of a freaking question is that?" He says, "I'm sorry." And I said, "Yeah, how good are you at giving it?" He says. No. I said, when you were 11 years old, did anybody teach you how to give one? No. Why would they teach me that? That's what they're teaching in schools right now in many different places. Oh, they're not doing that. They're not doing. There's no way they're doing that. There are
2: books that do show that. Yeah.
3: There are books, right? Okay. So, if a person wants to sell that book at Barnes & Noble, go for it. If a person wants to sell that book on Amazon, go for it. But what do you think about parents that are protesting all over the place where in some districts, these guys are saying, no, this is recommended reading by the teacher and it's normal it's okay you should learn about this at an early age how do you feel about that
2: well i think it's very clear that there are certain teachers that have an agenda and that their agenda is to indoctrinate children into this lbgt mindset and that this is uh, not just cherished but celebrated and you know if you're talking to someone who is a gay kid great that's great. If you want to tell them that it's okay to be gay and, you know, you should be your true self, great. That's terrific. What my concern with is that a lot of what we're seeing with like New Jersey had an uptick in kids identifying as non-binary by 4,000%, like mm-hmm. it's not natural. These are not normal yeah. numbers, and I think children are very malleable. They're very impressionable, and if you reward them for certain kinds of behavior, if they are they are praised and cherished for certain types of behavior, I think they'll be encouraged to do that. And I think you're seeing with a lot of these detransitioners that a lot of these kids got encouraged early and got put on hormone blockers and hormones and got mastectomies and got castrated, and now they have deep regret. And people don't want to acknowledge that, and they attack those people. They attack those detransitioners. We have always, always thought that young children are not capable of making life-changing decisions at an early age. That's why we don't allow seven-year-olds to get tattooed. And now all of a sudden you're allowing seven-year-olds to say that I am a girl or I'm a boy, cut off my breasts and put me on testosterone. That's
3: craziness. What percentage of parents do you actually think? Obviously, we don't know the exact number. But what percentage of parents, left, right, middle, think that's okay? What do you think that percentage is? That's interesting. I would not know. I would just be
2: wildly guessing. What do you think? There's, even a, if we there's guess, a certain amount say? of people that are in the progressive mindset that is essentially a cult. The, the, it's, look, there's cult like thinking on both the sure. right and on yeah. the left. Absolutely. It's cult yeah. thinking, it's uh, conglomerations of opinions that you adopt and you defend because that keeps you in the tribe and the lbgt whatever the other numbers are in letters Mm -hmm. that what that is is it's a it's a flag that you're flying to show that you're on the right team that you're progressive you're open minded you're on the right side of history you're inclusive you know this this is what they're doing and that that has an effect on people psychologically i think you should allow people to be who they are and you should be open to people being who they are no matter what it is, but to encourage them to go in a specific direction, I think that's, there's real repercussions for that and I think you're seeing that with these
3: detransitioners. You think it's 1%, 5%, 10%, 15%, you think it's 20 plus, like if you were to guess. I don't think it's 20 plus. I I don't think 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 so either. I think it's a
2: vocal minority. The same thing with uh, people that think that trans athletes should be able to compete with women biological women in women's sports. It's a very small, very loud minority.
3: Do you think that's kind of like, let's just say I'm your friend, okay, and we're out at a restaurant, and you know how there's the guys that uh, all of a sudden somebody's gonna say, Joe, you're picking up a topic, we're having dinner, we're having a conversation, hey, what do you think about voting this way? And one of your friends, this guy feels like, I have to agree with 100% of what Joe says, because it's Joe, Joe's my boy. Joe said this, Joe, you're 100% right. And then you got one of your friends like, I don't know if I agree with you, man. I think it's this, 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 and you're having a debate. Do you think there's a part of the political party where they feel like just because I'm a Democrat, I have to agree with 100% of what everything they're pitching me? There's a bunch of people like that.
2: Yeah, there's a bunch of like full on cultists and they're blue no matter who. Yeah. And that's that's their their mind and in their social circle, like this is how you talk and communicate. And you know, I've had conversations with those people, particularly when I was in LA. And when you confront them with facts, they're in denial. First of all, they don't know the facts. They're in denial about it. They, they think that what you're saying is propaganda, that what you're saying is, is right-wing bullshit and conspiracy theories. You know, I remember when I first started talking to Jordan Peterson about that bill, what is it, C-16 that's up in Canada that is a, a hate speech law that that mandates you using whatever the person's preferred pronouns are and at that point there were like 48 different mm-hmm. preferred pronouns that were going to mandate and people are like why are you concentrating on that this is something that exists in colleges this is not something in in your world like why, why is that of concern to you because people graduate from college and they take these ideas they've been indoctrinated yeah. with and then they enter into the workforce and that's what we're seeing and that's what killed bud light that's literally what killed bud light that they tried to enforce these ideas that they had been ingrained with in, in these educational institutions, and then they tried to put it out there in the world. Yeah.
3: So, so you, you, Joe, how old are you? You're, 55. Okay, I'm 44. Okay. I'll be uh, 56 in a couple weeks. So You'll be 56. Already. Well, you look great for a 56 year old. I'm like, just looking at your place. You're walking, around, wa- walking behind you. I'm like, holy shit, this guy's in shape. So, but okay, 55, you're going to be 56. From your experience at this age, when did you and I care the most about what people thought? What age were you when we cared the most about what people thought? When I was a kid. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So how little do you give a shit about what people think about you today?
2: Well, I don't want people to be wrong. I don't want people to have uh, an incorrect opinion about my position or sure. things or who I but am. But do you
3: lose sleep at night? No. With people? Okay, so that's the point. So, but, what,
2: I, but also you and I are used to dealing with the
3: opinions of an enormous amount of people. Totally agree. Totally agree. But. Let's not pick people like you and I. Let's pick okay. a regular guy. One of your guys out there, you know, that, that uh, I won't mention names that, you know, he's always with you. Um, do you think he cares more at 42 years old what I think about him? Less. Or the, less, yeah. right? Okay. You both so, it's
2: life experience, right?
3: So let me ask you this question. As a 55-year-old man, if you were really gay right now, Joe, would you care about coming out?
2: I wouldn't, but I do have friends that are my age that do care, and it's sad. Okay. It's, it's and what, but they're worried more about how their family is going to perceive it and how their you know their family's going to be treated about
3: it. You, you know, by the way, I'm not trying to convert you to you know for both of us right now to That's make okay. an announcement, public announcement <laughs> right now. Joe Rogan <laughs> and Patrick B. David came out and uh, we're both getting married. We're both getting married. <laughs> Who takes whose last name? So we'll hyphenate it
2: <laughs> uh, like good progressives
3: when i see a dude with a hyphenated name i'm like yo bro (laughs) yo i got a hyphenated last name bet hyphen david but i understand rogan bet david or bet david rogan so i want you to think about this the part where i go is the following the statistic traditionalists 0.8 percent are gay boomers 2.6 percent then it goes to five point something then it goes 10 percent
2: is it really 10%?
3: Oh, yeah. Gen Z's right now is 21%.
2: How much of them are regretful?
3: Do you want to pull this? Can, Jamie, can you 21% look 21% gay? 21% of Gen Z right now is gay. Identify. Is it gay
2: or LBGTQ? L,
3: all that stuff. Because, because LB... you,
2: can, you can be non-binary and slip right in there with like a, a real
3: and loophole. Check that out. Look at that right there.
2: Number of LBGTQ identifying adults is soaring.
3: Yeah. Look at that. 0.8% traditionalists. Boomers 2.6, Gen X 4.2, Millennials 10.5. And then you got Gen Z's around 21%, right? Okay. So when you look at the statistics, why would Gen Z become gay? They care about what other people think. You know, this is like, you, you know, it's kind of young. versus the traditionalist. Dude, if I'm like 72 years old and I'm gay, guess what? I'm coming out. i am like, hey, man, I am. What do you want to do about it? I'm going to go and hang out with Jose over here. Yeah, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Do what you got to do. So I think, you know, we're truly messing up with a generation that really cares about what other people think, and we're screwing them up in a big way.
2: We're also, they're growing up in a time of social media where caring about what other people think is way more enforced. Because you're getting so much more feedback than people have ever gotten before. Yeah, like a regular person might just be communicating with thousands of people in comments and and arguing about things on on social media. Yeah, in a, in a way where you would not interact with so many
3: random people that you don't know.
2: So, yeah,
3: and, and even that's a good point. Like even the social dilemma thing, kind of like where you're going with these kids are so worried about what other people think. Yeah, I think I think we're uh, I think it's a. Um, I think it's a big mistake. And I think we're gonna pay a price for it. Uh, uh, and it's gonna take us a decade or two to, to see the results of this.
2: I think so too. And I think there's gonna be a self-correcting thing. What, what, fear, what I fear the most is the detransitioners. I feel terrible for them. I feel terrible for these girls that can never have children now. And I ter- for terrible for these guys that are castrated. And <sighs> it's just, the, the whole thing is just very spooky because people are making life-changing decisions. Now, does that mean that I'm anti-trans? Not at all. If you're a grown adult and you feel like that's going to make you happy, mm-hmm. I'm with, I fully support your ability as a grown adult to do whatever you want, mm-hmm. as long as it's not hurting anyone else, that makes you happy. Sure. If that makes you happy, yeah. I don't know what makes you happy. If that makes you happy, I, I am a freedom person. I believe you should have freedom to do whatever you want. However, I do think that there's an indoctrination aspect to this. And I do think there's a social contagion aspect of this. And that's what Abigail Schreier has uh, documented and that a lot of these girls that are coming out, they're doing in these clusters of girls and a lot of them are autistic. A lot of them are, you know, they're on a spectrum and they don't feel like they fit in anyway. When they give them testosterone, a lot of times there's an alleviation of anxiety that comes with testosterone and a euphoria that comes with that. And they say, okay, this is who I've meant to be. Which is so crazy that introducing a foreign substance into your body, or at least a substance that your body does not naturally have at masculine doses, and that you're introducing that to a feminine body and then saying, this is who I naturally am. That's crazy. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense biologically, scientifically. It doesn't make sense.
3: So Joe, question. What age should a person, if they want to try marijuana or smoke weed, what age is an appropriate age to smoke weed? Well, I think you've talked about this before in the past. I do not
2: think children should be regular users of anything that perturbs your state of consciousness. I don't think they should drink. I don't think they should smoke pot. I don't think they should try acid. I don't think they should do anything. Your mind is in a developing state. That's there's like real documentation about that. I also think you can't tell kids what to do because they're going to do the opposite of what you tell them to do. You know, what I tell my kids is there are drugs that are very dangerous and you should be very careful about drugs that are dangerous. Don't take drinks from someone that you don't know. Don't ever take a pill. Don't ever don't ever snort something. Don't ever do something where you don't know where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. There's drugs that are non-toxic and not dangerous and are not going to kill you ever. And you should know which ones they are and you should know which ones can kill you. And especially today with fentanyl overdoses. Shh,
3: those videos. Do you see those videos? These guys are walking around like zombies. Yeah.
2: Well, it's uh, that's a big factor in the war on drugs. And that's another uncomfortable thing that we have to look at. There is a demand for drugs in this country, and when there's a demand, and that drug is illegal, you are going to have criminals that supply that demand. And so then, just like during the prohibition, where it propped up the organized crime in America, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're propping up the organized crime in in uh, well, it's it's in Mexico, but it's also China, where they're bringing in the fentanyl, they're bringing in the precursors. This, you have an illegal business, and a business that is overwhelmingly used in this country i mean there's so many people that use drugs and they have to get these drugs how do they get them they get them illegally the only way to fix that is to regulate drugs is to make them legal and to make make sure they're clean and pure and have treatment centers and have addiction centers and have places where people can go there are a bunch of different ways that people can be treated that have addictions those those methods are often illegal too like ibogaine it's a big one. People that take Ibogaine have a, a massive. They're like the statistics about people that have had serious addictions to pills and alcohol and all sorts of other things that go on these Ibogaine retreats. The amount of people that get cured of that is huge. It's huge. It's bigger than anything mm-hmm. else that we have, yet it's illegal. I think they should institute that in this country. They should do it with people that know how to run these centers and know how to treat people with real counseling and then. Educate people on the dangers of these substances that are now legal but tax them and use that money to, tr- to fund treatment centers use that money for education you but what you're gonna do is take out the legs of organized crime If you do that
3: well, I think there was a statistic that came out that even with the taxing of weed in California guys were still selling weed uh, uh, themselves and buying it directly illegally because it was cheaper due to the tax and so they were still having access to it so it's kind of like if you look at cigarettes right now what they're worth you know the amount of tax they're putting on cigarettes Um, so there's a counter argument to that where if you do tax it some people are still going to sell it illegally because it's going to be cheaper now you know, the the whole thing about education, all of that stuff, you know, that's a libertarian position you're making there. Will it become a national thing? There was a time nobody thought marijuana was going to be legal. And right. Today, nobody cares about, you know, the, whether right. marijuana is legal or not. Right. So, I don't know.
2: It's, I, but the problem is when things are illegal and there's a demand for those things, criminals sell those things. And then those criminals become insanely powerful and wealthy. And that's what you see in Mexico. That's what you see with the cartels. It's a direct result of the policies of the United States in the war on drugs.
3: How do you solve it? The whole thing with legalizing it? Well,
2: you gotta tear the Band-Aid off. And that's what scares people, is that there's gonna be a lot of problems. There's gonna be a lot of people that
3: are addicted, there's gonna be a lot of people that overdose, gonna be a lot of people that die. Joe, at this phase of your life, you know, a 20-year-old is different, 30, 40, 50-year-old is different. What, what for you, when you're looking at a president, are you more looking at like, here's the five issues that matter to me the most today. If somebody can run on these five things and you can win, I, you got my vote. Are you more looking for person with policies that match yours? Are you looking for somebody that can you know, be in charge, lead, cannot be controlled, is a somewhat of an anti-establishment personality that can do their part. What's more important to you at this phase of your life?
2: Well, that's what's interesting about, like, asking someone like Trump, what is it like when you get in there? Because we're just guessing, right? We're guessing, what, right. What, is, what, is it, what is the actual experience of a person first day in office? What is it, what is it what's different from what you expected? What I'm what I would want is someone who's not controlled and influenced by special interests and money. Is that even possible? I don't know. I don't know. But certainly there's an extent in which they can be controlled. And, you know, with Biden, I think it's just unchecked. I think it's just 100 percent controlled. With Trump, I don't think he was very controlled at all. And I think that was why he was the enemy of the intelligence agencies. He was actively going after them and fired Comey and, you know, made all these statements about the deep state and the swamp. Uh, that, that's a real concern. Unchecked power is terrifying. and unchecked power that goes around our Bill of Rights and our Constitution because they're actively trying to infringe upon people's freedom of speech because it inhibits their financial gains. That's scary shit. And that's what we're seeing in this country. And I don't think that ever leads to anything good. I don't think there's ever a justification. There's, the thing that makes this country amazing is freedom. It's a giant factor in why there's so much innovation and art and creativity that comes out of this country yeah. is freedom. Mm-hmm. As soon as you inhibit that, whether you're inhibited with social media posts about COVID or whether it's the, the Hunter Biden laptop or you're stopping the flow of information because it's. It's uncomfortable and inconvenient for what you're trying to do. That's un American. And the more we can stop that, the more a president can stop that the better it is for everybody
3: who's who's your president do you have a president is there a president you're like i don't really I,
2: have a president
3: i mean i would you know what i'm saying that, very
2: interested if robert kennedy jr could get in there
3: no no i'm not talking right now i'm talking in the past like is there somebody where no, you're there's like not anybody i mean okay. as a
2: spokesperson as a statesman it was obama he was the best statesman we've ever had the best speaker he was an example in my opinion of someone who's better than us who's running the country this is a guy who's like very educated very articulate v- brilliant guy lawyer and the way he speaks is presidential right. the way he holds himself is presidential he doesn't get overly emotional he's not attacking people it's like i trusted that he was a statesman he, he was a shining example of the best of us hmm. now when you look at the policies and the attacks on whistleblowers and the, you know the drone strikes and all the other shit that that happened during that administration and the, the coup in Russia and like, fuck, there's a lot, or in, in Ukraine yeah. rather, there's a lot that's you know, from a foreign policy perspective that's very similar to what George Bush was doing. But what they were doing was highlighting social justice issues. And that, that came about during his administration. And it a lot, a largely obscured the fact that the foreign policies were very similar to what George Bush was doing.
3: So when are you guys go paddle boarding together, you guys got like nah, something in Austin uh, Lake or yeah, like a nice shallow place where you drown <laughs> How the
2: fuck did that guy drown eight feet? That's deep Eight feet is it? <laughs> it's not that deep. He's a hundred feet from shore. I know if your life depended on it Don't you think you could swim a hundred feet? But then you have to think like yeah. well, did this guy take the vaccine? Did he have a heart attack? I mean, there's people that he, he's involved in rigorous exercise You
3: think we would ever know what really happened to the guy?
2: I think they if if he if he is a vaccine related death if he got myocarditis from a booster shot and he had a heart attack on that I don't think we're gonna find that out.
3: I no, think, I don't think I don't I think thought. they would tell us that. What would you find out? I how
2: many guys do you have to see that are falling down while they're being interviewed yeah. or falling down on the field or <laughs> having heart attacks while they're eighteen years old? I mean, how many of these do they have to have where people are? I saw some woman saying that uh, LeBron James' son, what happened was definitely not the vaccine. It had nothing to do with the COVID vaccines. You can't say that because we know it's not true. We know that's not true. We know you don't know that it definitely wasn't the vaccine, especially right after the kid has a heart attack. Unless you are his physician, unless you are doing MRIs on him, unless you find out there's some congenital heart issue that existed from birth, and so you can clearly say this was the problem,
3: you can't say that, it's just propaganda. So so you know how uh, uh, there's certain things in life you can't debate with other people, because it's personal, for example. Uh, let's just say you were always a pro-gun guy, a person was, okay? One day he's got guns in the house and a robber comes in, in the house, you know, his son grabs the gun and tries to shoot the guy, accidentally shoots his wife and the robber shoots the son, the son and the wife die right there, okay? Obviously this is a one in a billion chance, but I'm just saying, Okay. so if that happens, okay, he comes home, wife is dead, son is dead, the shooter is dead, let's just say. Okay. In that moment, and he's a proud Second Amendment NRA member for 30 years, he's a 52 year old guy, let's just say, okay? When everybody's gone and he's by himself, does he sit there and say, Man, if I didn't have that gun and I told my 14 year old son that it's gonna be above the whatever kitchen? He would have never pulled a gun out. He wouldn't have shot his mom and the shooter wouldn't have shot him. They would have been here today. You know what? For the rest of my life, I don't believe we should have guns in the house. Let's just say that philosophically. Okay. Changes the person's uh, opinion. And you and I, we don't know this guy. We're at dinner and we have a Second Amendment debate. Okay. And all of a sudden he's like getting emotional. No one should own a gun. Oh, dude, what is wrong with this guy? What do you mean you should own it? It's so freedom. is this, is that. Nobody should because you never know what's going to happen. And finally, we're like, can we ask you why you're saying this? And then he walks away and then his friend says, here's what happened to him. Like, okay, I don't want to debate this guy. I got it. That's a life changing deal, right? At what point does an event needs to happen in an area of your life that you fully agree with to say, dude, I don't care. This doesn't make sense. I have to get to the bottom of this. Did my son have a heart attack because of the vaccine that we took or is it politics more than i may be wrong. Well i think the problem is these people don't
2: have a voice. I know i know LeBron multiple has a voice, people. Though. Yeah, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to use that voice. I mean he was attacked for saying that it could be a personal choice. I mean, he was attacked by Kareem Abdul Jabbar for saying that he thinks that the vaccine should be a personal choice. Well clearly he was right. It should be a personal choice, especially now that we know that it's not just ineffective, mm-hmm. but it can also be dangerous for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We we know that they lied about the studies. We know that they were
3: deceptive. We know that they're covering up the data. Yeah, you, you know you know, and that's why I think you are as influential as you are because. So guys are asking me a question like, hey, Pat, you're friends with Joe. You know, you guys talk. You do what you think he's gonna do? Do you have insight? I'm like, dude, I've never asked Joe, and I don't know whether Joe's gonna interview Trump or not. Right, but I said, let me tell you what I think of Joe. Here's what I see of Joe, of following him. And, you know, you and I have had dinner three, four, five times together, something like that, but we haven't like hung out, hung out to really know of each other. Maybe we've spent 20 hours to get a total. I know a couple of times we're in, you know, Jackson, we had dinner till four five o'clock in the morning. That in itself, we had some good times together. But I said, I think he's going to interview Trump. Why do you think he will? I said, because Joe's level of maturity is such a level That he's comfortable to say, yeah, I changed my mind. I want to talk to the guy. Okay. Most people can't do that because the level of ego stubbornness that we have, we're just not going to do it. We're like, no, no, never, never. I'm never going to do it. There's no one. Okay. So Kyrie is in LeBron's ear. Kyrie doesn't want to take the vaccine. They don't let the guy play. You know, the whole New York, mm-hmm. you know, New Jersey, uh, Brooklyn Nets or whatever. It was yeah. like, oh, why would you ke-? Stephen A. Smith coming out. This should get rid of him. This man, shame on him. $19 million. You should take the vaccine. It's not the responsible. And, you know, Stephen A. is the spokesperson for ESPN. So, boom, Stephen A. maybe is saying what his job is, and that's maybe what he believes in. But, but I think what's going to happen is when a guy like you, who I would say pre-2016, 2017, maybe even pre-2019, most of your listeners, percentage wise, I don't know if this data is out there or not, I would say most of them would be libertarian if we were to put you know, right, center, left, whatever. I would say most of your audience until 2019 was probably center-left, is what I would put it. Now, you could dispute, disagree, whatever. I'm just giving my opinion. Okay. Right? okay. For the guy that said marijuana should be legal, for the guy that was in documentaries, you were in documentaries talking about, you know, what is this? And you're giving your argument, it's kind, of, it's kind, of, kind of makes sense. You know, maybe we should make this legal. You all of a sudden are like, yeah, no, I'm not with it, guys. For years, I was like, vaccine is what we say so many lives. and I'm not with it. And then you went on the offensive, and then they went and brought old clips from you because you're a target, And then they spend nearly $300 million of marketing dollars. You know what I'm saying when I say $300 million of all the shit they talked about you. They didn't even know what they did. They made you the guy, and it's game over. They screwed up on the way they approached the enemy. Where I'm going with this, Joe, is if this happens to the wrong person, where to them it's not politics over knowing the truth, the shit's over. And if it's somebody that's part of their camp— You can't all of a sudden say, well, LeBron doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not a doctor, you know? Yeah, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. They're they're, going to try to demonize him, undermine him, whatever they're going to do with that person right there. But eventually, I believe it's going to happen to somebody who was pro-vaccine, who took the shots, who made a decision as a family for their kids to take it. And something's going to happen, and they're going to say, I'm sorry. I have to find out for the rest of my life what's going on. Kind of like RFK has to find out. No, no. What did you guys do to my dad? Well, you're seeing that with uh, Steve Kirsch.
2: Right? Do you know who he is? Um, pull up his Twitter. His entire Twitter. Kirsch or Kerr? Kirsch. Okay, Kirsch. No. He's a billionaire tech guy who got injured by the Vax. And now he's been on this rampage where he's testifying and writing substacks. Was he on the left is he a left guy? I believe at one point in time, truth teller critical thinking, founder of COVID-19 Early Treatment Fund, Vaccine Safety Research Foundation, entrepreneur philanthropist, founder of COVID-19
3: Early Treatment well, this Fund. This
2: was all because of his experience with the vaccine and he's been on the uh, Dark Horse podcast with Brett Weinstein and you know Have you had him on? No, no, I haven't. But he's done a, a lot of a lot of work trying to expose the dangers of this vaccine, what the real studies show. And, you know, this comes from a guy who was personally injured by it. And oftentimes that's what happens. A lot of these people that receive, like Robert Malone, yeah. who holds nine patents on the creation of RM uh, um, the mRNA vaccine technology. Yep. That guy got injured by the vaccine and then started doing a deep dive on what is actually going on. Guys like Peter McCullough.
3: Who's a I don't think those are the guys. That.
2: Highly respected cardiologists. What do you mean? You don't think? That?
3: I, I think. I think they're easy targets to say, "Look at this conspiracy theorist," and they go after him. I, I, I don't think they're going to move the needle.
2: You, th- so you think it has to be like a public person? I
3: think you move the needle. I think Elon moves the needle. I think LeBron moves the needle. I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers moves the needle. I think. I think uh, Djokovic moves the needle. I think yes. these types of guys move move the needle because you have to talk about them. When Bill Gates is at Australian Open, and he can't, Djokovic cannot play because he's suspended due to COVID or whatever, and then the next time he comes and he wins, he wins in front of Bill Gates. That's redemption for a lot of people that said, "Hey, dude, you took one of the you know Grand Slams away from this guy. He should have one or two other Grand Slams." So, I I think there's got to be you know, uh, uh, like for example, you know, your podcast. Who listens to your podcast? You know who listens to your podcast, but you really don't know who listens to your podcast, Joe. Think about it. Like, okay, does LeBron listen to your podcast? Is he listening right now when this goes live? And is he sitting there talking to his wife? What do you think about Joe says? Is Kyrie sending this text to LeBron and saying, LeBron, watch the clip from hour and 28 minutes to whatever, and look what Joe and PBD are talking about? This is what I was telling you about. There's certain people that watch your podcast that can't tell anybody that they watch your podcast, right? And those guys are mainstream type of people that watch the podcast. I don't obviously get the messages you get, but I'm sure celebrities text you and they say, or DM you and say, hey, I'm agreeing with you, but please don't tell anybody, we're on the same page, but I can't because it's gonna risk my da-da-da-da-da. There's been a few of those. First time I was on your podcast, a guy called me from Hollywood. He says, hey, I just wanna let you know the idea you were pitching to Joe, Uh, That, you know, what if he starts a social media company and you're like, I have no interest, I don't want to do that. I don't know if you remember the last time when we talked about it. Like, well, I have the idea, like I said, man, you know, what what you want to do, you need Joe if what you want to do that. But the point is, when those guys flip, that's problematic.
2: Well, I think they're flipping. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think the overwhelming evidence that we've been fucked with, like just the lab leak thing, just that alone, when you see the gain of function emails that Fauci was sending to those other scientists and that there's, there's some clear collusion to try to distort the narrative, that's scary shit. That's scary shit that these are the people that we trust our lives to. And when, you know, if you have a child that got vaccine injured and you worry that your child has myocarditis now, yeah. and their lifespan is shortened, they might be dead in 10 years. Yeah. That's fucking terrifying. Especially when you consider the fact that they tried to mandate it for kids when they knew that this wasn't deadly for kids and they also knew that it didn't stop transmission,
3: they knew it that's right they knew it didn't yeah. stop transmission it was all lies you know you know the the podcast you did with Bill Burr where you're like, I would do something really." bad to this person and bill is like joe relax it's not real it's just a video it's another guy you know that clip oh yeah the the, yeah
2: that asshole that grabbed that
3: girl that's right and And, and you went to a dark place right in your mind you're like oh brother i would go to jail for i don't know what you said you'd go to jail you said something you're gonna go for the rest of your life okay (laughs) um when i think about rfk you know, what makes it very appealing with RFK is you know, sometimes you, you're meeting people for the first interaction, two, three, four, five, you're like, I don't know if I'm fully there with this guy yet, but let me see, right? RFK, I had him on the podcast three years ago during COVID. We got a strike. We got another strike. They took it down. We got multiple strikes as of RFK three years ago. And I'm like, I don't know if this guy's a true believer. I don't know if he's just kind of saying this stuff just to say this stuff. One night we're in Dallas. Dallas is a conservative state. You know, Texas is a conservative place. And Dallas, some would say, is more conservative than any of the other cities in Texas. Our kids are going to a Christian school. My wife comes to me and she says, babe, the kids got to get their vaccines. I said, what are you talking about, babe? We're going to a Christian school. You can get exemption. No, we can't. That's bullshit. Yeah, I'm telling you, you can. Our first two, three, uh, first two kids got all of them. Our third one, we're like, uh, I don't know about that. Okay. So my oldest is 11, 972. So go to 2020, whatever 2023 years. So it's eight, you know, six, you know, four. And my last one isn't born, Brooklyn. And I'm like, uh, babe, there's no way this is. No, babe, I'm telling you. They're telling me I need an exception. You know, I need to go out and get the vaccines. I said, but we're not doing that, babe. I text RFK's 11 o'clock my time. I'm in Dallas. He's East Coast. I don't know where he's at at that time. I text, hey, Robert, question for you. I know it's late. Maybe you'll call me tomorrow. Uh, they're forcing our kids to get the vaccines here and our kids go to a private school and it's a private Christian school and we're kind of surprised. Is this true? 30 seconds later, he calls me. I'm like, I was not expecting to call, right? I pick up the call. I'm like, babe, hey, uh, Robert, it's my wife and I here right next to each other. Oh, hey, and he starts going, they can't do this. Let me see what I can do. He three ways another lady in. 45 minutes later, He's furious that they still have to take it, and he is still saying, I would think twice before I do something like this for your kid. We get off the phone. At this point, it's midnight, okay? I sit there and I said, there is no camera here. It's not like you're doing this to have a show where other people are going to be like, oh, this guy's this, that guy's this. I told you and I said, babe, this guy's 100% true believer, right? So his father, they kill his dad. They kill his uncle. How long are you going to spend time thinking about that? When he did the interview with News Nation and just said, look, this drug thing is a real deal. At 28 years old, when my dad died, I dealt with 14 years of being addicted to drugs. And he openly talked to him. i like, what a noble guy to talk the way he did, right? Like, I, I called him. I said, I just wanted you to know, your town hall with you know, News Nation was unbelievable. He says, man, brother, thank you for the call. I needed it, blah, 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 blah. And he goes his way. The true believers, I think, are going to wake up. But for some of these true believers that potentially could have a contract with China, potentially could have their business being affected, they have to privately make a decision between one of two things. And this is with anybody else being around. They have to sit there and say, what's more important to you? Investigating what they did to your kid or to your mom or to you or your wife or you're buying over a contract that you're going to get with China or Hollywood or this. What are you going to do? That is a coward's play if you don't do anything about it. For the rest of your life, publicly, you can act as tough as you want. You can go to all the parties you want. But every time you look at your mirror and you're in the car by yourself and you're right. shaving, you're going to be like, listen, man, I know you're a coward. Yeah. Th- that battle, I think, in the next six, 12, 24 months, I think some major names are going to come out. And shock the shit out of a lot of people. I'm hopeful that that happens. I
2: think that's the case. And I think the overwhelming amount of evidence that we've been fucked with and lied to is just going to force people into action. And then that's going to be the narrative in the future, I think. I think the narrative in the future is going to be people understanding that they got lied to and realizing that there's this corruption that's been in place for a long time. And when it comes to healthcare, I mean, going back to the AIDS crisis, this is the exact same play that Fauci did during the AIDS crisis. They were literally talking about, there's a video of him talking about Remedies for the the AIDS crisis when they were talking about AZT mm-hmm. and he says it's the only thing that's available Because it's both safe and effective the only thing that's both safe and effective The fact that he was able to say that about AZT which is an out-and-out out <sighs> lie that killed untold thousands of people that was a, a Cancer medication it was a chemotherapy medication that they stopped using because it was killing people quicker than cancer was killing people and they started using it on people with HIV and started using a chemotherapy medication where you would take it permanently, which doesn't exist in any other chemo, and it killed everybody who took it.
3: And what was the number? I I don't remember, $12,000, $10,000 versus the other op- option they had was $50 or $100. It's the Somebody, same thing yeah. with
2: ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and the demonizing of off-label medications that, were generic, so there was no profit in them, and also the emergency use authorization. The emergency use authorization of COVID vaccines, Mm -hmm. the only way they could get that is if there was no other treatment that was available that was effective. So they had to demonize all effective treatments. That's why they went after me for taking ivermectin, because I got over it quick, because I took this medication and I took monoclonal antibodies and IV vitamins and I was better in three days and so they had to attack me as being a fool for taking veterinary medicine but the problem is that's such a checkers move Because anybody could go, is this really veterinary medicine? And they look at it and go, oh, no, it's on the World Health Organization list of essential medicines. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, the guy won the Nobel Prize who created it for use in human beings. Oh, no, it it actually shows that it stops viral replication in vitro. There's all this evidence. There's more than 100 random controlled trials on it. It's like the, the fact that they demonized that one particular medicine, there's only one reason to do that. And that one reason was because that was going to get in the way of the emergency use authorization of COVID-19 vaccines.
3: It's wild. It, it's, gonna, it's gonna catch up. You know, uh, uh, last year I said 2023 is gonna be called the Europe investigations. Everyone's gonna get investigated. It's gonna be left and right investigations, whether it's the left, the right, all this stuff. Do you think do you think we're eventually gonna find out what Fauci really did? You think it's eventually gonna come out know. while he's alive? I, I, know, I think we know. I I know we know. I know we know, but I don't know if it's mainstream enough yet where, you know, the average person who took it is saying, Shit, I should have never taken it. I think it. a lot of people are saying they shouldn't have taken you it. You think yeah. a lot of people are saying that right yeah. now?
2: I okay. have friends that were all in on the vaccine. They were all in, they took it and a a bunch of them got hurt by it. A bunch of them developed problems. Why are they quiet
3: about it? Why are they not loud about it? Because they're
2: terrified of losing their occupation. They're terrified of losing their job. they that's terrified a problem being, though. Especially in Hollywood and entertainment. They're huh? terrified of being ostracized. Shh. Look what happened to Ice Cube. I mean, Ice Cube, they they told him they had to get vaccinated for a, a $9 million movie. And he's like,
3: nope. Yeah. Nope, not gonna yeah. do it. Yeah. So more guys like hey, Tyrese. I don't know if you saw Tyrese speaking out recently. No, uh, I didn't see that. Tyrese talked about the uh, Satan. And the dark side of Hollywood and yeah. what is going on. And I think uh, the other actor, uh, is it Tom Holland? The, the, I don't know if it's Tom Holland. One of the actors did a uh, podcast with Jay Shetty. And he says, Yeah, I, I don't want to be in Hollywood. I'm trying to distance myself as much as from Hollywood. Not in a bad way. I just don't want that life. I want a simple life. I want this. Mm. I want that. You know, more and more people are kind of starting to see, you know, the trend of what is going on. But I still don't think, Joe, enough people are out for given a, you know, a conclusive evidence that we know for a fact. No, this is what happened. You know, this is what happened. I think it's like the JFK assassination where it's what percentage of people you think the government was involved for JFK assassination? You know, 64%, 67% used to be 22%. No, the government didn't do it. No, like we're at the, uh, what do you call it? The restaurant we were at a minute ago, Capitol Grill. And I see LBJ's picture there right in front of the restaurant. I'm like, I didn't know LBJ because in Capitol Grove, the way they do it is each Capitol Grove you go to, they have paintings of people from that city. So I'm like, I didn't know. I I thought LBJ's from Dallas. So I Google, you know, Capitol, you know, LBJ, he's from Austin. Okay. So till today, was he behind it? You know, was the Jack Ruby and this guy and, you know, the videos and this came out and that came out and who was behind the Warren commission, you know, what happened here? 67%, 64% think it was the government being behind it, but we don't know 100%, you know. Fauci, yeah, I think as time goes by, more people are gonna say, man, this was a shit show, you guys are a fraud, you hurt millions of people. But is it gonna be public coming out telling us what happened? Well,
2: the problem is the media is never gonna go along with it. The media has a narrative that they pushed forward during the pandemic, especially when Biden was elected. Th- that, that narrative, they're never going to be able to say, we were wrong. They don't say that. They never correct. They never say that. I mean, the closest you get is like where I talked about Dr. Lina Wen on CNN saying that she think that the actual vaccine deaths are 30%, 30% yeah. percent of. You don't see those talking heads buck that narrative because there's no benefit in it. They could just gloss over it and continue to do what they do and not lose the respect of the people that mm-hmm. watch. Yeah. But there's going to be a certain amount of people if they say, we were wrong. We were wrong, and this is a real problem. But the difference between real journalism and corporate sponsored mainstream journalism is huge. There's a th- we used to have real journalism where people would do investigative journalism and get to the heart of things, find out what the problem is, post these things, then everyone would know. Oh, this has been exposed. Mm-hmm. But now you have places like the New York Times that are involved in propaganda. The people that we've always p- trusted, they're they'll they'll bullshit. Washington Post will bullshit. MSNBC is a f- pure propaganda network. CNN is largely propaganda. They they like. When that, the Archer testimony the other day that you were talking about, who's covering that? Who's covering that? Mm-hmm. Who's, covering
3: that? Yeah. who's covering this now.
2: groundbreaking thing where it's like, yeah. holy
3: shit? And did you see what they said? What they, they said? They said, oh, you know, uh, there, there's no such thing as the 20 conversations were really about, uh, you know, President Biden was asking about how the weather was. <laughs> That's actually what they said. They said they were wondering how the weather was and... You know the fact that he was asking about his uh, oldest son, and they were having conversations about that. The, the level of deflection, and the guy's like, "No, twenty times we had a call, and yeah. he knew we had business dealings."
2: Yeah, well, it's pretty obvious. to Just look at the amount of money that kid generated. Yeah, like how did he get all that money? Like what what was the qualifications for him? To, that just that alone.
3: You talking about Hunter?
2: Yeah, just that alone.
3: He's a he's a world renowned artist, though. I mean, the
2: What, the art- that, what do you think that was? When they were selling those paintings for like a half a million yeah. dollars is that money laundering like what is that show yeah come on joe i mean at first i thought it was psychos oh. that thought it'd be funny to own a hunter biden painting and then i thought like mm. maybe there's like deals do have you like, actually seen what
3: they look like no i have not but it, they actually look actually, good I, I think
2: i did i think they, I did. they I
3: actually did. look decent i don't i don't think it's a bad art that's pretty
2: good art I, I, that's the I, kind of stuff you do when you're on crack but I would buy one of those <laughs> if it wasn't that much. That's actually good art. Yeah, I, I
3: actually think it's good art. Well, it's lot about of half a million dollars. People,
2: a lot of crazy people are good artists.
3: But here's the question, though. The question becomes.
2: That's actually good stuff.
3: You know, sometimes you read a book and you're like, that guy's a, uh, you know, he used a ghostwriter. He didn't write that book. The criticism, you know, art mm. of the deal. Somebody else wrote that book. Trump didn't write that book. Right. The ghost... Is that a ghost artist? Oh, you boy. know, like, can you imagine? Is it's Hunter hiding, uh, hiring a artist who does it, but he's really doing it and he's giving that guy like, Five well, grand. It seems pop. like he's
2: actually doing it. Has he always been an artist?
3: What do you call artist?
2: I mean, has he always done art? Like anyone's an artist. My child is an artist. She's not professional, but I mean, if you create art, you're an artist. If it's something that you engage in on a regular basis, you're an artist. If you go fishing all the time, you're a fisherman. You know, are you a fisherman? I'm a fisherman. I like fishing. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's an artist. Like, is this something that he's pursued and gotten really good? It's totally possible to be a crackhead who's really into hookers and also be an artist. So, I mean, that's like common. Like, look at Bukowski, great poet, fucking maniac, alcoholic, psychopath. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so you think that's what it is? Could you, be. You, you think in his mid-50s, he becomes a world-renowned artist? Well, was
2: he an artist already?
3: Can you check? I don't know if he was an artist. I don't artist. know either. I, like, listen, if we've never talked about it, maybe because he wasn't an artist. But here, here's the question. Do you know what percentage of art is fake? Do you know, Fake? Do you know what percentage of art is fake?
2: What do you mean by fake? You Meaning mean, like, it's not real.
3: Fake? Like, it's, it's not a real... Uh, piece of art. It's fake. It's not
2: AI generated. Not AI gen,
3: not AI generated, but 70% of art if you if you google this what percentage of art sold is fraud, you would see a number 65 to 74%, 65 to 70 something percent of art is fake. Is it, but, but when you say fake, do you mean counterfeit give you Like an not idea. done by the original <laughs> artist? So there was a guy who uh, uh, hires a local artist to draw a, a, a painting who had a style of Picasso, like Picasso. This guy pays the guy like 500 bucks, okay? Then he takes the art and he reaches out to Picasso and says, hey, Picasso, he's on his deathbed. The guy's not doing well. He's not healthy. He says, can I come, there's this kid that admires you. He wants to show you the art to see if you think his work is good. He goes to Pablo, shows him the art. Pablo says, yeah, it's okay. He said, well, great, I'll go tell him that. But before I leave, do you mind if I take a picture with you? So they take a picture with him, okay? Then Pablo dies. Now you have Pablo's last art that he uh, did. So this is the kind of stuff that there is a lot of gamesmanship in art. Collectible cards, right? For the longest time, cards, people were selling fake cards. There were prints, reprints. Some of them did a good job. Some of them didn't. People were falling for it. Or they would cut the edges with a you know, scissor, and the corners would get better because it was shitty before. And like, instead of selling it for $500, bucks, now they're selling it for $1,200. Instead of $20, you're paying $120, forward, right? That happened in cards until PSA showed up or BVG or BGS or Beckett showed up. Now there's a grading service. Art is going through that as well. But for me, I don't know if there's such thing as, you know, ghost artist, you know. Are you aware of The Last Da Vinci? You know that? Yeah, the four hundred million dollar one. That's a wild That's story. That's a wild story. Yeah. That's a wild story. Have you followed it all the way oh, to the beginning? Yeah. Crazy.
2: It's crazy. I've I've done many deep dives on that. I watched the documentary and how it was created. Yeah. There's literally a person who painted that painting. Most of that painting was done by one person who replicated the style that Leonardo da Vinci did there you when go. they when yeah. they restored. Yep. The word is restored, but it's not restoring. It's repainting. So that is a new painting,
3: essentially. Somebody paid $400 million for yeah, it. Yeah,
2: well, I think he's very embarrassed by it, too, which is why he wanted it in the Louvre in Paris. Yeah. He wanted it to be next to the Da Vinci. They wouldn't allow it, and so now it's not there. Well, but, so but somebody I think paid a his yacht somewhere. But
3: somebody paid a hundred million for it prior to him, so it's not yes. like he was the final one, right? And originally, it sold for like five thousand dollars in nineteen forty. I don't know the year, but it's a long right. time ago when it sold for five or ten thousand dollars.
2: Yeah, it's there's, it's very complicated, but there's a giant interest in making that a real painting, because if you do make it a real painting of Leonardo da Vinci, it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. But if you know just the restoring process, and again, the the word restoring is very strange because it's repainting and it's documented. They have film of this person painting this (laughs) over a long period of time, years restoring this thing. Until you get what you see there. But when you see like the original painting and how they stripped away the old paint and went back and restored it and it's it's fucking wild.
3: So you're a big art guy?
2: I mean I like art. I'm interested in art. Do you buy like yeah, heavy, expensive pieces of no, art? No, or... no. Okay, no, nothing crazy. Like I... is
3: there anything you're into or?
2: I mean, I'm into this painting here of Mitzi Shore is my friend Taylor Bose? He's a, an artist who created that for us. He's, he also made me a Hendrix out there. I mean, obviously, I have art all over the studio. I'm interested in art, but I'm not interested in art because it's valuable. I'm interested in art because I like it. Like, oh, I like that piece. That's interesting. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Oh, my
3: God. Yeah. And I, I didn't know was, he says, it's based on a pen. Yes. So I went close to it and you know, it's got a syringe in the bottom with the, you know, a heroin and it's got the very interesting. Is this a famous artist that her that? name is
2: Melania Blackman pull up her uh, Instagram. She's really good. She did the one of me too. When you walk right into the, yeah, the it's hallway right here. there, yeah. 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 So that's a, another. That's like someone that I found on Instagram. She's extremely talented. She does that with the. She has a very distinctive style. Like oh, that, I can't that's, believe that. that's the Bourdain
3: piece. That is incredible.
2: Yeah, when she when she made that piece, I reached out to her immediately. I have to buy that. Good like, for her.
3: I mean, she's incredible. She's really, really, really talented. Yeah, and by the way, if, for for the audience that's watching this, if you see it from ten yards away. It looks like a complete different piece. Yeah. If you're close to it, it's different versus being 10 yards away from it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. She's also smoking hot. That helps.
3: She's also smoking hot. Yeah. Well, I mean, if the artist... She, did...
2: she paints, like, in nice clothes and she looks good. Not good naked, though. No, no. She's not a hoe. She's just a very attractive artist. Oh, that's great. With a pen. Yeah. With a pen. Yeah. It's a very unique style that she does. Yeah. So this is her creating the thing. Yeah. It's documented. I mean, she she documented all of it.
3: Oh, so she does a video of it while she's going through it.
2: Well, she has. She's done some videos. I wonder
3: what the process is, like how long it takes her to do that. I don't know. She's super, super
2: talented, though. And she's got a lot of uh, examples of her work um, that is uh, on her Instagram page. It's really good stuff. But that's so, what I like. I like art, I like Greg Overton stuff. You see a lot of those Native American yeah, paintings out there. Yeah, I think that guy's fantastic, yeah. and so I buy. I've bought a, b- a few of his pieces.
3: So are you? Are you like? Uh, is your next move getting uh, maybe like a nice Hunter Biden piece in yeah, here? Yeah, i get one. You get one. If it wasn't too. It's I'm not a paying a half a million starter. dollars. I mean, I think they're a little overpriced. By the way, how would that interview be if he was on the podcast? I tried to get him. Did you? I tried to get him. Dude, that yeah, would They be... offered
2: him. They offered him to me. Like they, they sent. You know, like they send out these. I get this list of people that are trying to get on the podcast, and one of them was Hunter Biden early on. Pff, what this, year? Uh, before the laptop stuff, before any of that, like when he was thinking about coming out with uh, a book. Like I think that remember when he came out with his book? And he went on Kimmel and he talked and, about yeah, yeah, so I was like, ooh, should I uh, fuck that? And then I thought about it afterwards. I go, why not? And then I reached out and then they passed. But that was when he was already in trouble.
3: Dude, that would be insane. That'd be fun. That would be insane. Let me ask you, Hunter Biden or Trump? Which one do you think gets more eyeballs?
2: For a podcast? For a Trump. podcast Trump, yes. Trump. Trump for sure. Yeah. Trump
3: is gonna break the internet.
2: Yeah. Trump would be like Elon Musk numbers. That would be pretty crazy. You think but he I beats don't Musk? do things based on how many people are going to watch. Yeah. I do things based on whether or not I'm interested in talking to that totally person. Totally
3: get it. Now, you know, it's, it's interesting. But from a fan's perspective, you know, where you're kind of looking at numbers, a fan says which is going to be bigger or the other. But the talent, the artist, you don't think about it from that perspective. You know, for
2: I think about it whether or not I'm interested in someone. That's it. That's what I've always done, so that's what I always do. Like, do I want to talk to this person? I don't want to talk to that guy, so I don't talk to them. Yeah, it's very simple. Or maybe sometimes people I don't want to talk to, but I think it's worth a, 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 it's a discussion worth having. I'll have that discussion.
3: Who, who was your most difficult? Where you're doing the interview, you're like, "Dude, I can't wait for this thing to finish." Oh, I don't know, I don't know. I've had a few of those.
2: I've had a few that weren't released. Because the person was like a con artist, and I realized like oh, no while they shit. were talking, that they were full of shit. Oh yeah. no shit! I had one of those pretty recently. Um, yeah, you you got to know. I mean, uh, sometimes people are just playing you, and it's a scam, you know. And, and you, you realize like, well, this guy can get this information out. This could potentially harm people. Want to invest in his bullshit idea, you know? And, and then you find out the person has a, a long history of being a scammer. You're like, okay, I can't, I can't have this one, but. You know, most conversations I have with people, luckily, are great because they're someone that I'm interested in talking to and I'm curious and I'm a nice person. So when they, they come in, I'm nice to them. and I want them to, I, even if I disagree with them, I want to find out why they think what they think.
3: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing you and Trump together. Yeah, You keep pushing that. I, I think, OK, I'll tell you from my perspective, like. Uh, on why you ought to consider it when you do do it. I'll just give you my, okay. um, just so you know, he and I don't speak, you know, it's not something that is like, hey, his camp saying go in there and do this and do that. No, I've never interviewed the guy, so it's not like I'm, you know, uh, lobbying for it. But I think if, you know, when you think about sports or you think about fights, what is the boxing world if Frazier Ali never happens, right? <laughs> uh, what is the UFC world? If DC John Jones doesn't happen or Khabib Connor doesn't happen and they're both at their peak and those fights don't happen. We can go on with sports, you know, with baseball, with, you know, uh, interviews of Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jackson. You know, you go look at, you know, uh, some of these things that happen with Larry King or her and, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of different guys. He's a guy that's probably the most misunderstood by a side. And a guy that I uh, think
2: he's misunderstood in what
3: way I, I think I think the media has really painted this guy to be evil I had you know, like I like to talk to people I fully disagree with and I, I think they're delusional on certain areas to understand like what makes you believe what you just said, right? Like I don't understand what you just said. right tell me how you could be that Convinced you're right 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 Jenk was on the podcast yesterday and Jenk is convinced he's a better businessman than Trump. I mean, how could you say something? But he's convinced. And he says, no, he's a loser. Trump's a loser. I said, dude, what do you mean? He's a, there's only two things he's won in his life. I said, there's only two things he's won in his life? Yes. Yeah, there's only two things he's ever won in his life. And this is the second time Jenk and I have a, having a conversation together. Politically, we're on very different sides. I'm just trying to find out why do you think this way, right? And he says, yeah, only two things. He's a great marketer and he did this. I said, first of all, 15 years. You know, apprentice. Good luck. Go do. no, he had great producers. I don't care if you have the greatest producers in the world. You can hire any producers Joe has and go try to match Joe's numbers with podcasts. Yeah, because it's his producers. No, it's 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 a lot of work. Fifteen years. Book, how many years does Art of the Deal does? Well, yeah, but Pat, imagine if you started with 430 million dollars. You would have been richer than him today. I said four hundred thirty million dollars. What's this four hundred thirty million dollars? He got $430 million. Are you like counting in today's money versus, well, you know, it's estimated this. Okay. He got a million. He got 14 million. No problem. He got family money. I'm willing to make the case that you are more likely to screw up your life if your family gives you money. He says, what do you mean? I said, so I went and studied. I got four kids now. We're going, you know, we've done estate planning multiple times, but now I just sold the insurance company. So I have to sit there and see what am I going to be doing with some of this money that came out of nowhere? Goldman, Morgan, estate planning. Do we do this? Do we do that? Let's go study it. We put our research team. Go find out who did it right out of all the families. Okay. The Medici family, seventh generation, they kept the wealth within the family. What are they doing? Boom, 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 boom. Great. Vanderbilt family, the money lasted one generation, maybe two. Like when you know Anderson Cooper's mom's like, look, we're Vanderbilt's, but you ain't get nothing. You got to make your own money, right? Okay. You know, the Rockefeller family, they're at three or four. Okay. We can go through all these families, most of them that get a lot of money. The kid becomes a what? Drug addict, drug dealer, spoiled. They don't work. They're not this. They're not that. Okay. So let's just say he did get the money and he still doesn't do drugs and he doesn't do alcohol and his vice is women and he works his ass off in business and he makes it where he makes it to. Yeah, it's, it's very easy to make the argument that actually, if you do come with money, it's a harder life than a person that doesn't get money to have that drive and ambition. Not necessarily it's a harder life to have that right. fire, the ambition that you know, right. you, got, you can't teach that. You either got yeah. it or you don't have it, right? Okay. So then we go into politics. So let me get this straight. This guy wins in New York. He becomes a billionaire. He wins on TV. He's won with women. He's partied with everybody. In 1988, he's doing an interview with Oprah Winfrey, and Oprah Winfrey says, hey, you sound like you're going to run for office. No, I have no interest, but if I ever did, I'd win. Okay. Then he runs. Everybody thinks it's just a marketing deal that he's doing. And then when he wins, I don't know if you remember when he walked down, he's like, even him and himself, they were kind of like surprised. Babe, we just, we just won. Right. And, and the day before, the odds were if you bet $100 – You'd have to bet $350 to win $100 on Hillary, but if you bet $100, I think you win $550 with Trump or some number like that. The underdog one, the greatest underdog of all time of politics, right? Okay. So let's fast forward 20 years from now. Let's go to 2043. We're doing a podcast, you're 75. Okay. I don't know if you're doing podcasts, but that'd be one hell of a podcast at 75. And... Maybe we feel a little bit more comfortable coming out at that time because we're traditionalists, we're older generation, then maybe we're a little bit more careful about what people think about us right now. But at 75, we look back, and we look at the list of podcasters. Who are the greatest podcasters of all time? Joe, Joe Rogan at the top, GOAT. Who's the greatest this, 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 that? And he's like, dude, but he never interviewed that guy Trump. I'm going to be like, what are you talking about? Wait, let me get this straight. The greatest podcaster of all time never interviewed Trump at a time that he didn't do that? Dude, that's crazy. I don't believe it. Why not? It had to be personal. It had to be this. So to me, I think the guy that's going to interview him in a way that nobody else is going to interview him, you, you're going to ask some questions that you want to know about. Like, you know, hey, what happened with JFK? Are we really going to find out? Can you commit to us? Are you going to come out with the files or no? So I really want to know. Last time you said you did, but you only gave us 80%. Are we gonna get the other 20%? Aliens. What the hell is going on with these aliens? Are we gonna know or no? Can you give us a glimpse? Do you think we should know? I don't Can think I... he'd tell you anything about but, that. But, but what I'm saying I think
2: that would be a waste of time.
3: Yeah, but what I'm saying is whatever Maybe angles. I'm wrong. Whatever angles you choose to take. Right. Okay, it's your show. You you get to take whatever angles you wanna take. I think it'd be very weird to look back. There's going to be no mainstream media 20 years from now. You know that. I know that. To look back and say, Joe never interviewed Trump. That's kind of weird. So that's my pitch to you. Good. I like weird.
2: You like weird? I like things in weird. I
3: don't know about that. I think, think, you know, uh, I think one- um, Why don't you interview him? Why don't I interview him? I think if I give you my um, assessment on why- Have you ever tried? I'll give you my assessment on why I think. Okay. I think if he's him- Okay, you're here, Joe. Everybody else is below you. In this space, not mainstream. In mainstream, he'll do Tucker. He'll do, you know, uh, Megyn Kelly, whatever. I don't know if he's done Megyn Kelly. He hasn't done it, but he'll do Tucker. He'll do Brett Bear, He'll do Hannity. He'll do all that stuff. But in this lane we're in, you have to do you first. Then comes everybody else. He can't do that. So I think we come after you come. Okay, I know this sounds crazy to you. Have
2: you tried to get him on?
3: We've talked about doing it multiple times. It almost happened, but it never ended up happening. Why? One of the times was in twenty twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. We were talking to Hope Hicks. This was early on. This is when we had like a hundred thousand subscribers. We're like a small show. No one knows who we are. We're tiny. We're not doing anything crazy yet. And uh, you know, uh, twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen was it? Twenty. Yeah, 2015, 2016, and we're talking to Hope, and I don't know if you remember Hope Hicks. You know, She was a rock star. Everybody was trying to figure out who this girl is who's underground, dropped that gorgeous girl, great at getting stuff done, and we're on a call. Yes, we're doing it. It's going to happen. The next day, he makes a comment about Muslims. We talk to her. She says, guys, we have so many requests from mainstream media. We just don't have the bandwidth right now. So that was the missed opportunity in 2015, 2016, based on what Hope told us. Uh, now, uh, you know, in regards to us doing an interview, we would absolutely do an interview because I think our audience, we take a different angle with the guy as well. But, uh, if I'm his advisor, if I'm his advisor, I would advise him. You can't go to anybody else unless you go to Joe first. And I, and I'm telling you for like, from a perspective of if I'm his counsel, I would say you go to Joe, then you go X, Y, Z. Everybody else is X, Y, Z, Joe. You're Joe. Everyone else is X Y Z, okay? And and I think he knows that. And I think the person in control right now is not him; it's you. Like the person in control with Hunter is Hunter's camp, not you. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like you know, Hunter. No, Joe. They get to whoever gets to say no; they're in control.
2: Right.
3: So, but from your perspective, what's going on in America today? I would say if you don't do the podcast with him, you're helping the establishment and you're helping a guy named Joseph Biden. I think you're helping that person. (laughs) That's kind of weird. But indirectly in your mind, you're helping Joseph Biden win by not interviewing Trump. Did you
2: you come on this podcast specifically to try to get me to interview Trump? No,
3: you brought up Trump multiple times. I never brought it up. It seems like you did. I I think you did. I I could tell you, Joe, don't go live with this podcast (laughs) and keep it until after you do Trump's interview and then say, Pat told me don't do it and then they're going to release this even if it's three months from now. I wouldn't care if you did that. your, Your guy's support, I respect. I love the work you're doing. I'm talking to you as if the camera's not on right now. Don't go live with this. Go live a week after Trump, and we can date it right now. We can show the phone. It's three twelve August second, Wednesday. Okay, here's camera. <laughs> if you don't go live with this until after Trump, I don't care. Well, I'm gonna go live. With I'm this. just saying to you from my perspective. Know, what I'm trying what to tell you that. is, I don't want you to think there is a you know. My persp- purpose of being here in Austin. I've been working on a gift for you for God knows how long, which at the end of the podcast, when you said we're done, I'll show you you know, a couple of these gifts. One of them took us a while to get. I came here because, you know, as a Middle Eastern, you're opening up a comedy club. We talked, you know, you, you, you dream the way you build it. Everybody, you know, tells me I got to go. I'm like, dude, I got to go, but I don't want to go empty handed. So I came here to give you gifts. Then you said, if you're here, let's do a podcast. And I said, no problem. Let's do the podcast. So now we're here. You know, I'm gonna give you the gifts, all that stuff. No one's here with a motive. The motive is as a friend, as a guy that's in the same space as you, and you're the Michael, you're the Brady of the space, I'm encouraging Michael and Brady to consider this. That's it.
2: Okay. Yeah. Consider it. Yeah. There you go. All right. Thank you.
3: (laughs) 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 Jamie, what's the chances this thing's going live?
2: Oh, 100%. Yeah. But. 100%.
3: 100%. Hundred percent. 100%. Yeah, this okay. is gonna air. Right.
2: Why would I not air it? I if you I love you.
3: If, no, I don't want you to think I don't want you to think there is a motive in no, something that this I person wants think, from you. Yeah. I don't think that. But I do think you would like me to interview Trump. I think mm. you've been very clear about that. There's no question about that. Yeah, oh I go. I'm not and I said this to you in a text a year ago yeah. when you know I said so. But yeah, I, I do want to see it selfishly as a fan.
2: Well it was interesting to watch RFK. Um, And the reaction to RFK, which is pretty, was pretty wild. And, you know, he's a a pretty serious underdog, but the, the blowback was wild, wild to see. And uh, specifically about vaccine stuff. And then, you know, the Peter Hotezes and all the people that say that he's dangerous. I'm like, come debate him. And they wouldn't, they did not want to debate him. Um, He... I, I wanted to have him on because of his book, because I read the real Anthony Fauci, and if that book is accurate, first of all, if it's not accurate, how is he not being sued? Um, I think it is accurate. <laughs> what a book. It's a fucking Holy shit, book. what I, a book. I cannot recommend that book enough, but I also should say that it's very depressing, and I yeah. listened to that book in the sauna, like so I was particularly tortured while I was listening to it, because I'm listening to it, and it's 185 degrees in the sauna while I'm listening, and uh, I went for days where I had to not listen to it. I just listened to fiction because I just couldn't, I just didn't want to absorb it all. When they're talking about what they did with foster kids in New York, with yeah. experimenting vaccines on them and how many of them died. It's fucking horrible. Did you horrible. get angry? Did you get and the rage? Furious, that's because that's
3: what I got. Yeah.
2: Furious. Furious at the regulators. Furious at the people that allowed it to happen. Furious at Fauci. Furious at this fucking psychopaths that were involved in this. It's, it's horrible, and it makes you reconsider everything. I know a lot of people that were, and me myself, were staunchly pro-vaccine, said vaccines are one of the most important uh, health innovations in, in human history, and now I look at it differently. Now I look at it like I don't think they're honest. I don't think they're honest about everything. I'm not saying vaccines are bad, but I'm saying I do not think they're honest. Yeah. I don't think they're honest about the side effects. I don't think they're honest about the repercussions, and I think there is a massive interest in making money. And the more vaccines you give people, the more money they make from them. The fact that there's this immunity to prosecution, all that is fucking crazy. The fact that none of the 72 mandated vaccines have gone through uh, vaccine safety trials, they've mm-hmm. not gone through double-blind, placebo-controlled studies. That it's fucking terrifying. And the, when he talks about that and, and Fauci says that's not true, and then he asked Fauci to give him the information, he said, I'll send it to you. And then after a while, they had to admit it doesn't exist. There, is no, there are no safety trials for the mandated vaccines for children.
3: You know, and you ask people, have you read the book? Why would I read it? It's a conspiracy theory. I, don't want, I wouldn't want to read a book by a guy like that. I said, if it's so wrong... If you go on Amazon, I don't know how many reviews it's got Jamie right now on Amazon. That book, Fauci's book's got 30,000 plus reviews. He sold a couple million copies. And it's not like he went through Simon and Schuster or Penguin or anything like that, no. right? And, and word so- Word of mouth. Yeah, so how come no one's investigating him? How come no right. one's questioning it? How come no one's tearing it apart? How come no one's sitting there saying, when I first bought the book, I think it's like six or 700 pages, I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't have time to go through a 700 page book right now. Then I made the mistake of start reading. There's five more pages, 10 more pages, 20 more pages. Yeah, 23 23,800. Insane.
2: Yeah, insane. That's it's insane. five stars. Look at that. It's five star. Yeah, that How is many unbelievable. Or 4.8 stars that have sold millions Ridiculous.
3: of copies. Ridiculous. Yeah, so so uh, by the way, what do you think about Mark Cuban? Cuz I know Mark responded and you know, he said what you guys are doing is exactly what mainstream is doing. You know that whole exchange with Mark. Yeah,
2: he also advertised his drug company Which in the, same, the same, same tweet. Yeah. Fuck out of here with that. I know about his exchanges with uh uh Ravavora and uh the uh, Ravorora the um the young journalist and the the different uh exchanges they've had back and forth. I'm I don't think he knows what he's talking about. I don't think he knows what he's talking about, about the side effects. I don't think he knows what he's talking about, the dangers of myocarditis, the idea that it's like nothing and it goes away quickly. It's not true. I don't think he's accurate. I don't think he's right. I think he has a vested interest in his position. He's had that position for a long time, the position of mandating vaccines for his players. I think, uh, you know, that's his his place. That's his stance. I don't agree with it, but, you know. I've met the guy before. I like him. I liked him when I met him. He's a nice guy. Yeah, communicated with him in the past about other things, but I think you know he has a very specific um, mindset.
3: I think the left—that's a good candidate for the left. If they want a guy like that, I think they'd be a good candidate for him. How much, Joe, have you looked at? Um, you know, Larry Fink, Soro State Street, you know, uh, Vanguard, BlackRock. How much have you looked at what they're doing and how, what their ties are? I've looked at it. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty much running everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> S&P 500, you know, the number that, uh, 88% of the companies on S&P 500, 88% of them, the largest shareholder of those companies is either State Street, BlackRock, or Vanguard. 88% of them, okay? And then you see their influence in defense contracts, okay? So we went through a deal. I'm like, let me see if this these guys, this ESG, Larry Fink, Vanguard, State Street, if they have any influence on military contract, defense contract. If you Google the largest shareholder for Raytheon, three out of the four top shareholders of Raytheon, BlackRock, State Street, and uh, Vanguard. It could be top three with Raytheon, but I think it's three out of four. If you go look up General Dynamics, if you go look up Boeing, if you go look up you know, Northrop Grumman, okay, And then you work backwards, and you say, "Okay, how much money is that in in, in what these guys are doing?" You'll find uh, uh, our, you know, the amount of money we spent in our military, seven hundred forty-four billion dollars, on how much we're making from defense. But you'll see some numbers saying last year it's thirteen percent of our GDP, which is around eight hundred and fifty billion dollars. That's more than the next ten combined. We gave more money to Ukraine than Russia spent on their military last year. And when you look at these contracts, then you're like, okay, Fink is there, these guys are there. Okay, let's go look at Hollywood. Same thing you see there. Let's go look at pharmaceutical. Let's go look at this. And you're like, wait a minute. These guys essentially have a monopoly. Well, how big is BlackRock? $10 trillion. How big is $10 trillion? Only two countries have a bigger GDP then what BlackRock has, assets under management, U.S. and China, that's how big BlackRock is. So then they went and they started getting all these other guys to sign on and say, hey, we want you to participate with the same thing as what well with ESG. And they ended up having, I think they had 31 signers, I think end of 2022, they got 60 uh, something signers for a total of $70 trillion of assets under management that they're controlling. So now they're controlling other places. And just recently, if you saw the rebuilding of Ukraine, did you see this contract? Rebuilding of Ukraine, $400 billion contract, BlackRock and Chase is helping rebuild Ukraine. And then, okay, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but what the hell is going on here? They have that much control to get everybody to do what they want them to do? Yes. So Dylan Mulvaney, who cares? Why? Bud Light. How does that tie up? You got the DEI, the HRC, the human rights and all this stuff. And then you go even deeper, which is even the crazier part with, you know, the the education schools like, you know, the biggest uh, union we have in America. I think it's national education, something. NEA is the largest uh, union we have. Three million teachers are part of that union. And, and you look at that and you go deeper in that with open society and who's funding it, who's the money behind these organizations, comes back, Soros, Soros, Soros. How do you feel about the kind of power they have right now to fight against them? Because this isn't like a billionaire can come out and say, I'm going to go up, up against these guys. They don't have a little bit of money. A billionaire to these guys is nothing. They got the kind of control that can make companies fire boards, they can replace CEOs, they can replace leaders if they don't like. They have their hands so much into it where uh, many times when people say they, the people of power, the people of power, I'm kind of like, who are the people of power? Are you convinced these guys are really running the world or what do you think about what some of these bigger companies are doing like State Street, Vanguard and BlackRock?
2: Well, they certainly have massive amounts of influence. What do you think they're doing?
3: It's it's the question is how do you fight it, like for example the way we fight mainstream is by what the show that we do, and we have to be patient. It's gonna take two, three, four, five, ten, twenty years. Now you have some influence, right? Okay, we can fight. There is an actual strategy on how to fight that. No problem. You got a kid in school who's a bully. He's bigger than you. He keeps bullying you. You have a strategy on how to beat the guy. You take a year, jujitsu, two years. This this that. Boom. One fight. He knows I'm never going to touch Joe again. Screw this thing. I'm not doing this no more. Right. There is a play to it. When you have this much, Joe, 88 percent of S&P 500 companies, that is a form of a monopoly. If I'm a president, whether it's a Trump or whoever else goes out there and does it our monopoly law in America is 50%. They say 50%. Like if you tie and said, at what point is a 50%? I've done calls with the FTC. Like we had one of our guys, technology we were using. The FTC called and said, hey, we want to have a call with you because they're thinking about buying this other technology company and we're worried it's going to be a monopoly. So we had the call, okay? At the end of the call with us, with a bunch of different people, we said we love their product, we love their product. That deal didn't end up happening, okay? The monopoly law. Some of these guys are influencing it. But they say fifty percent is a monopoly law. Do you know how many people in America have an iPhone versus droid? Do you know what the numbers, market shares in America with iPhones?
2: I think it's like sixty.
3: Fifty-eight percent. Sixty percent. That is already a monopoly. But who's knocking on the door of Apple, Tim Cook saying, Hey Tim, you got fifty eight percent, that's breaking a monopoly law. Nobody is. I think someone's gotta break apart. You know, in nineteen ninety three, I don't know which senator it was. They, th- these guys that were trying to get the defense contractors to be better at the pricing, what they were charging because they were overcharging DOD and DOD, people don't know what the hell is going on. They're like, yeah, okay, how much? $68 million do it, $1.2 billion do it. I'm not going to overnegotiate the money. They took 51 defense companies and they brought it down to only five. It's only five companies right now when you want to buy anything. Th- think about that. So defense contractors is five. We know how these guys make money. Earlier, you know, I was asking you a question. Why do you think vaccine? And you're like, Pat, that's how they make their money, right? I mean, if a, if you and I run a hotel, rooms are empty. We're not making money. We need people to stay in the rooms. If you and I are running a hospital, we need people on the beds to make money. Yeah. If there's no people on the beds, we ain't making money. If these five contractors are fighting for $744 billion, what do they want more of? Wars. They want more people dying. You know, the Papa John saying better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Mm -hmm. You know, these guys is more wars, more people dying, more profits, defense contractors, right? That's a valid concern that I have because behind closed doors, this whole military industrial complex, when you look at the numbers, whoever becomes the president, unfortunately, this guy's an anti-establishment president, good. Unfortunately, if you're an anti-establishment president, Everyone's going to come after you, especially these military defense contractors. So if a president got up and said, if I'm going to be the president, here's what we're going to be doing. We have to look at all the contracts. You can't overcharge us. We have to open it up. You have to sell some of your companies. You have to let them be independent again. You have to do this. You have to let them go public, separate, whatever way you got to break them apart to have competition again, because we don't have that today. You know, so that is a major concern where. We say we have a commander-in-chief, but really the commander-in-chief is Larry Fink today. The guy running BlackRock is really the president of the United States. If we look at the kind of influence he's got in every industry, Joe. And he's like, well, you know, I kind of feel bad. I'm ashamed that all the weaponization, the word, you know, ESG is being used and all this other stuff. And Elon tweeted about the ESG. I don't know if you remember when Elon tweeted about ESG saying the S in ESG is satanic. Okay, so this is a part where even a Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's partner, says, look, I love Larry Fink, but I'm not interested in having an emperor. Some words like that he said about Larry Fink. So this motive and by the way, Larry Fink is an interesting guy because he majored in college political science. His aspirations was politics. He accidentally got into money. And he learned to trade and then he lost hundred million dollars at, at thirty six years old, I think. And then he teams up with Schwartzman and they start this company and after a couple of years they got five billion under management, $8 eight billion, and thirty two billion, and then they have a difference because you know he wants to give equity and Jamie's, you know, Schwartzman's like, no, and they separate. But influence of politics, you get into business, you're a billionaire. It's you, Soros. So I'm I'm extremely concerned about what these guys are up to. And we think our president is the most powerful person. that prince is not, because being a closer is going to be like, "Look, guys, let's relax. That guy's only going to be there for four to eight years. We're going to be all right. He'll be out. We're running the world. We're OK. We were running America, but now we're running the world. We control all the ETFs in America. We're controlling all this stuff. Everyone has to come through us, and we can tell everybody what to do, because everybody fears not getting money from us, from being downgraded. A Tesla on ESG score is nothing. But a Philip Morris gets an A rating. How the hell the company that's Philip Morris has a better environmental, social governance score, DEI—you know, not DEI, but the CI—the uh, score they give it over Tesla. So d- they can bully some of these guys. Now Elon is vocal. Elon can stand up. Elon's not the guy that can be bullied. But some of these other guys that don't have 150 million followers and they don't own a company called Twitter. They may be billionaires. They may be $50 million guys, CEOs, but they got to sit there and say, babe, if you say something, you're going to lose your $26 million, your salary. Just do what Larry tells you to do. Imagine if you had control of 88% of CEOs of S&P 500 companies, what kind of influence do you have? So, so to me, as a person, when I asked you earlier, what are your top five things you would want somebody to run on? I think somebody's gotta figure out a way to break those companies apart. Do you think
2: that's possible? Do you think they would ever allow that to happen?
3: I, I do think it's possible, but I also think it's possible that that person who does it is risking a lot of things. There's a lot of risk, you know. For example, again, going back to Jenk, I love hearing these types of arguments. It's like, oh, you know, I said, did you watch Oppenheimer? I did. I think you watch Oppenheimer. Oh, no, you haven't seen it yet. Oh, yeah, I'm, okay. No. So, anyways, when you watch Oppenheimer, uh, it's a three-hour movie. They could have done it in two hours, but if you're somebody that's interested in that stuff, you got to watch it. So, I had to go watch it. Okay. I said, what do you think about the ending, what he says to Einstein? I won't say what he said, but they had, a, they had a, Einstein and him have a meeting at the end, at this place, and how, look what we invented, right? He says, oh, there is no way I want the button to be controlled by Trump. No way. It would be a World War III. I said, okay. Fine, Jenk. Friendly conversation. We have four years of track record of what happened under Trump. No wars, peace. No one talked about ISIS. People forgot about ISIS. All we feared was ISIS. All of a sudden, we're not talking about ISIS, and the place was fine. He wanted people to stop dying. Right? There's nothing going on on all these other places. Yeah, but look what he did with Edel. You know, El, you know Sheldon Adelson, or you know the whole thing with the hundred million dollars. Say, but he didn't take money from the establishment. He wasn't controlled by those guys. So, when you think about what is really going on and what could happen with it, I think it's going to be a lot of work, but I think it's a big risk on the person that decides to go after these guys. There's certain people you go after, you better be ready for it. I think going after BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard is going to be formidable.
2: Has anybody openly stated they want to do that?
3: I think Vivek is a person who is making a lot of noise with that. He wrote a book specifically on ESG, Vivek did. Um, And by the way, Vivek is a very interesting guy. Very interesting. 37, 38 years old, working his ass off, family guy, billionaire, self-made, born here, smart guy, intelligent guy, well-spoken, respectful with the opponent when he's giving his presentation. Don Lemon is pushing him on. He says, look, Don, respectfully, I just disagree. Here's what we are. Um, And he went from last place to getting past Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence. He's passing all these guys up. There's only one person now he's got to pass up. He's about to pass. In Ohio, he's ahead of DeSantis, by the way. And Mm. very soon he's going to pass up DeSantis. So it's going to be him and Trump. So if Trump's not going to be doing the debate and those guys go in debate, now imagine if Trump runs and Vivek is a VP. Trump may go Tim Scott, Trump may go, uh, you know, many different angles, you may go. Trump and Vivek would be very interesting. Oh my God, it would be very, very interesting. Very hard to beat. Yeah. So, to answer your question, Vivek's gone after the ESG folks. Mm. He knows the game. So, meaning. What,
2: let me ask you this. What do you think the goal of ESG is? What, why do you think they're establishing these sort of parameters? Like, why, why is ESG a thing, and what's the benefit of it for them?
3: So, Schultz said something very interesting. Schultz says, look, these guys are driven by money. They're not gonna do anything to destroy an economy to lose their own money, because right. they want that. I said, okay, so very good, Andrew Schultz. I said, that's right. a very good point, uh, uh, you know, on, on what you're saying, fine. So, you know, you, you know how sometimes Michael Jackson, you see the interview with him with kids, oh, they're just sleeping in the bed, that's all it is, and we're just having a great time, and we're storytelling, and like, yeah, but I get it, you know, it's a little weird, you got a seven, eight-year-old, 10-year-old kid sleeping in your bed, and you know all this stuff, and just, it's a little bit fishy what you're talking about here. It's not normal. Well, if you're in Hollywood, and you've slept with as many people as these people sleep, and then eventually you have to have other options, because what else do you, do? you have to try new things, how many threesomes have you had, how many this, how many that, so you start trying all these other things, and sometimes these guys go to such and such place. Doesn't matter. It's kind of weird and fishy, right? On what you want to do. Great. Okay. So, why are these guys doing what they're doing? You have all the money in the world. You live in a $100 million house. Not you, Larry Fink, and some of these guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't know if he lives in a $100 million right, house, but you got the, the money to live in a yeah. $100 million What else do you need?
2: Right.
3: You got nice cars. Jamie Dimon's got a $900 million art collection, according to an article. It's a nice art collection, right? You go to all the nice restaurants. You meet prime ministers. You meet presidents. And then maybe there comes a time when you're looking at a couple of these guys, they're presidents and prime ministers, and you tell yourself, I'd be a better president than you, bro. How the hell am I not reading the country? Or they tell themselves, you think you're a president? You're not a president. You work for me. What else is the motive?
2: But ESG, how does that factor?
3: But, that? but that the point is control is what I'm saying. So the motive okay. becomes control more than money. After you have all the money in the world, what's next? It's got to be control or a true vision. So uh, Soros, when you're talking ESG, that story is a completely different story. You ever heard Soros's interview with 60 Minutes where he says, I see myself as a God? Have you ever seen this uh, interview or, or what he says? No. Really? He said oh.
2: he sees himself as a God.
3: Oh, my God. Uh, 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 Jamie, do you mind pulling up the quote? I think it's, if you type in LA Times, Soros, God. If you type in LA Times... Soros, God. When you hear what he says, it's like the second to the last paragraph, all the way to the bottom. The guy asks a question, you know, about who he views himself as. I want to, I want to quote it properly. Exactly what he says. In the Is there a view. video of him saying? Yeah, this? A sixty minutes. There's a video as well. So if you go all the way to the bottom, go a little bit higher. Go a little bit higher in the quote. About next my go a little higher. I think it's a little higher. Kind of keep going higher. It's sort of a Keep going higher. Keep going higher. Keep going higher. Probable values a little higher. A little higher. there's a part where he says uh, keep going. What year is this article? By the way, is this an it's a it's an old, old article? It's supposed to be
2: 2004.
3: That's the one. This is the one. Uh, I've okay right there. It seems that Soros believes he was anointed by God. I fancied myself as some kind of a God. If truth be known, I carried some rather potent messianic fantasies with me from childhood, which I felt I had to control. Otherwise, they might get me in trouble. And then on the next line, when asked by Britain's independent newspaper to elaborate on the passage, Soros says, it is sort of a disease when you consider yourself some kind of a God the creator of everything, but I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. Whoa.
2: <laughs> since I began to live it out, those unfamiliar with Soros would probably dismiss this statement out of hand, but th- for those who have followed his career and sociopolitical endeavors, it cannot be taken quite so lightly. Soros has proved that with the vast resources of money at his command, he has the ability to make the once unthinkable acceptable. His work as a self-professed amoral financial speculator has left millions in poverty when their national currencies were devalued and he pumped so much cash into shaping the former soviet republics to his liking that he has bragged that the former soviet empire is now the soros empire
3: that's right ask anybody who's from hungary bring up the name soros see what they say about him this guy's manipulated the market currencies
2: yeah, he's like a bad guy in a movie
3: so he's like a bad guy in a movie, yeah, but here's, a movie. he's being interviewed on 60 Minutes.
2: Okay? See if you can find that video.
3: If you can find the interview, uh, he's being interviewed on 60 Minutes. And he says, so you're 14 years old. You're being used by Nazis to go find Jews. Okay. And that must have had a big impact in your life because you're essentially helping people be found that they're going to kill. You know this. Did that impact you at all? His answer, no, not really. And he's got a smile on his face. And the guy comes back. This is a famous interviewer from 60 Minutes. You'll recognize the face on who it is. And he says, no, not really. He says, at that time, you know, uh, when you're thinking about life, you're not thinking about things like this, et cetera, et cetera. When he's
2: 14.
3: When he's 14 years old. I think at 14, you are thinking. I'm having real conversations with my 9-year-old son. I was at a refugee camp at 10 to 12, Joe, in Germany. With Czechs, Yugoslavians, Pakistanis, Afghanistan people, and I remember the conversations. I remember why they left. This is the one. Let me see. Wow, it's, it's twenty minutes long, so I'm going to. No, find if you part. can find, if you go on Twitter, best way to do it, I Jamie. It.
2: I found it on Twitter, and it was taken down for copyright grounds. So I, have I to
3: mean, go to that YouTube totally to makes it. sense. Yeah, that totally it's makes like sense. Charlie Rose's interview. No, this is not the one. It's not Charlie Rose. It's another person, Jamie. I'll, I'll, I'll find it here right now. It looks like the same video. Uh, Soros. Um, asked uh nazi here let me see if i can find this um interview
2: it says it's talking about him but th- this is the link i clicked and it was different
3: experience anyways there is a clip you, if you keep looking for it there is a shorter version of it where he's being asked so he's just kind of like downplaying it yeah,
2: i've seen that
3: yeah just kind of downplaying it. and i'm like i want to really know this guy's story so i watch his documentary and the documentary they made about him is a pro Soros documentary. Here we go. Like, okay, that's the it's one. It's on the internet archive. That Apparently, is the one. So this link
2: said it was scrubbed from the internet, but I don't know. So if, if
3: you can find it, I don't know if you can listen to it on the mic while we're doing a podcast to find I it. It's, you can't do that. Okay. So it, it's going to be... It's also not going to load up very well either. Yeah, so dude. If, you, nice I mean, if you've seen it, you've seen it. He's being asked, and he just kind of has a smile on his face. Now, here's a guy that at 14 years old... Um, Russian soldiers raped his mom twice. So he's gone through some traumatic experiences, you know, and yeah, dude, the clip is insane if you can find the clip. There's, there's a 30 second clip on Twitter that, that's out there. So this guy starts Open Society Foundation. Do you know how much money he's given to Open Society Foundation in the last 30 years? How much? $32 billion, bro. 32 billion dollars is given to Open Society Foundation. That's not a small money. He's worth 7 billion right now which is passing on to his son Alex I believe that's his name. 38 year old guy which is just like his father. Okay. So what is the problem with a Soros versus a Fink? They're both true believers. Like Soros is not doing this because he wants to be, you know, he already fancies himself as a god. Th- this godlike tendency when it happens to some people where well, your entire life, you know, I'm winning, I'm this, I'm that, and you know, you know how you sometimes talk to some people and you're like, dude, you really believe you're the shit. You're not. You really believe you're better than everybody else. Like there are certain people that actually really believe that. You know how there's an insecurity of a typical good fighter or good athlete where, you know, is that it? I think I got it. This is it. You got it. Now. That's the one. Right, one That's the one. You're in a human. There you go. You're. Perfect, uh, this is it.
1: Societies have deficiencies as well. Oh, wow. and You're a foster critical mode of thinking. Figure
0: Hungarian Jew who escaped the Holocaust mm-hmm. by posing as a, a Christian. Right. And you watched lots of people get shipped off to the death camps. Right.
1: That was 14 years old. And I would say that that's when my character was made. In what way? That one should think ahead, one should understand and, and anticipate events. Uh, and uh, one, one is threatened. It was a tremendous threat of evil. I mean, it was a, a very personal experience of evil. My understanding is, is that you went out with this protector of yours.
0: This is it. swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes went out in fact and helped in the confiscation of property from the Jews that's right yes i mean that's that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many many years was it difficult uh,
1: uh, not, not not at all not at all Look at that. Uh, maybe as a child you don't you don't see the connection uh, but it was, it created no no problem at all.
0: No feeling of guilt? No. For example, that uh, I'm Jewish uh, and here I am watching these people go, I could just as easily be there, I should be there, none of that.
1: Well, uh, of course, I, uh, I could be on the other side or I could be the one from whom it, the thing is being taken away. Uh, uh, but there was no sense that I shouldn't be there because uh, that was uh, uh, well actually funny way it's just like in markets that if I weren't there of course I wasn't doing it but somebody else would would would, would be taking it away anyhow the whether I was there or not I was only a spectator the property was being taken away so I had no role in taking away that property. So I had no sense of guilt.
2: That makes sense though. If you were fourteen and this thing was happening and you were just uh, a fourteen year old boy who was just going along with people that were doing this, I would it would make sense that you wouldn't have a feeling of of guilt that you weren't responsible for that.
3: Everybody's gonna respond to a life changing event like that in a different way. Yeah. Okay. Um to be desensitized the way you have from a situation like that. The way he discuss- describes. Yes, it. Yeah. I mean, you're. It's a little spooky, a little spooky to answer yeah. the way you do. People yeah. die. like, oh, you know, it's funny. It's kind of like the market. No, no. People died. Right. Is, is what they went through. So
2: yeah, his thought is, it's going to happen either way. Whether I'm involved. Or exactly.
3: Not. Which, yeah. by the way, that that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's true or it's not. But th- this this becomes the problem. This becomes a problem. So. People ask the question. So what do you think is wrong with America? What do you think is wrong with the world? What do you think is wrong da da da. da. all these conversations you have in and it's like you're at the cigar lounge You have the combo. Okay. I think we have a hero making machine problem I think we have a very big hero making machine problem and what I mean by hero making machine problem is this Kids are confused who's a hero today When you and I were 14 years old who was a hero Joe think about it when you were 14 when you were 18 when you were 25 Who was a hero? If we go back, like when I was 14, oh man, I was, what years? is it? 30 years ago, 1992, 1993, who was a hero? Michael, you know, Jordan, sports, billionaires, Life of the Rich and Famous, mm-hmm. you know, guys like that. Just a very innocent, that's a hero. You know, one day when I grow up, I want to be pa 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 right? Today, the hero is the victim. Today is the hero, the person that's going through a, mutilation, and the parents support their seven-year-old going through it, what a hero Dwayne Wade is. You know, what a hero, you know? And the mother of the child is saying, why don't you just wait till this kid is 18 years old to do it? No, we're leaving the state of Florida because Florida's not allowing us to do what our kid wants to do. That's a hero today, Joe. A hero today is the person that dresses up as a syringe, goes as a show, late night show, and is getting people to take the vaccine. That's a hero today. That's that's what they've painted as a hero today. And the longer these guys control who the hero is, kids are going to be confused. We're not recognizing the parent that is doing what he's doing with his kids and doing the hard job of raising his kids. It's not easy being married. Marriage is very hard. You and I are both married. It's not easy being married. It's a very hard job to be married. And you have kids, and you have self interest, and you have your own selfish desires, and you wanna be a good dad, and you wanna be a good husband, and you wanna do, and you, that's not easy stuff to do. But guess what? Who are we turning into a hero? Not, not the father that's taking his responsibilities and doing his part. That's a boring story. Let's not turn that person into a hero. Let's not turn a person into a hero that's fighting the establishment. That's ah, not the hero. That's the villain. That's the villain. Joe's the villain. You're not a villain, you're a hero. So unless if we get back to selling the dream, like when I watch Ron DeSantis, I ask myself, sell the dream. Sell me America. Sell me why this is the greatest country in the world. We're no longer selling the dream. We're not selling the bigness. It's nightmare. It's confusion. It's gaslighting. It's dividing. And selling people into heroes that are not necessarily heroes. George Soros, uh, to, to see what he's done with his life and what he's doing with his money right now, where he's investing it, this guy wants to change the way a lot of things are being done. He wants to go from America, you know, as long as I have my money and I got influence around the world versus seeing what America's doing. That's not a good thing for me. You know, if, if you study Hitler, And I don't know if you've read Mein Kampf or not, or if you've gone through it or not, the translation in, you know, English. You see how this guy used to go to local debates just to watch. He'd go to local stuff that was going on, small little things local that they're voting for. You know, this guy was like a big architecture guy. He liked buildings. He liked stuff like that. (laughs) And you're kind of like, okay, so what was this guy's motive? What was he doing? You know, what was he getting rid of? He realized later on, you know, people can't believe in God. That's a big enemy, Joe. Yeah, and I'm not debating Christianity or religion specifically like a God. We can't recognize people that believe in God. That's risky. You know, we can't. We can't really be doing that because if people believe in God, they believe future is bright. You know, people who have faith are typically like, I have faith. What is a main basis of faith? I think everything's gonna work out. No, I don't want you to think that. I want you to think it's the end of the world. Climate change is coming. I don't want you to think everything's going to work out. I want you to think the future is scary and you need us and we're here to save you. That's kind of how they're pitching their savior mindset, God-like, fancied myself as a sort of a God. And now that it's become reality and I'm experiencing it. So these are not people that are sitting there saying, well, that guy keeps talking about God a little bit too much, man. That's not good. We don't need people to believe in God. We need people to believe in government. That's a scary thought. So for me, I think, you know, when, when we have the debate with religion, uh, it's, a, it's a great debate to have, you know, with, with Muslims or, you know, seven day or Scientology. There was a year, 2003, I was an atheist for 24, 25 years of my life. And I'm going out there trying to find out what's really going on. I'd go read Dianetics. I'd go read all this stuff on, you know, LDS and, you know, Gordon B. Hinckley or Cleon. you know, all these guys you're reading on. Okay. Okay. I see this year. I see this year. There's a place for religion debate. Let's do that. No problem. But for me, I want as many people around me to try to exercise whatever faith they're going, whether you're a Christian, Catholic, you know, you're LDS, you're this, you're that. I'm a non-denominational Christian today, right? We need more people to have faith to see that future looks bright. Doesn't mean we don't need to be skeptical. Doesn't mean we don't need to be, you know, only the paranoid survive. That's a quality in business you need. But I think there's a bit of a confusion right now with who we're turning into heroes. And the more we do that, we don't know who we want to be when we grow up. Who do you want to be when you grow up? Shit, I don't know. People who bitch a lot, whine a lot, cry a lot, do these TikTok videos of eating, doing all this stuff. They're getting all, they're getting famous. That's what I'm gonna be. Those are clowns. That's not a hero, but that's who we're turning into heroes.
2: So, how do you think ESG factors into that?
3: ESG factors in it that they get to dictate. You have to, you know, do the LGBTQ. Explain stuff. ESG to people. Okay, so in, for for example, Hollywood. What's Hollywood going through right now? Oscars came out. I don't know if you saw the structure on Oscars. Have you seen what it is to be nominated for an Oscar today? Yeah. That you have to have a portion of your actors be either disabled, black, part of the LGBTQ, the workers behind closed doors, da 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 da, all this stuff that they have to be part of the the, the sect to get funding or to be nominated and all that stuff. Who gives a shit that I have to do that? But people do it to get a high score. If you get a high score, you get more money, you get rated better, you're How you, do
2: they get more money?
3: Okay, so if if I'm a um if I'm a, a State Street or Vanguard or XYZ company, okay, the the more you're growing, you're going to need to raise capital. You're going to need people to invest into your company, whether you go in public or it's pi- private or you're raising debt. There's only a few companies that are behemoth to go and get money from those guys. If you want money from those guys, you have to follow their guidelines. If you don't have a high ESG score, DEI score, they're simply not interested in your company.
2: Why do you think they're implementing this?
3: Why do I think they're implementing this? Uh, uh, in, regards to, in regards to what? Why do you think they're doing you know, the uh, indoctrination, the grooming? The way the, they're just
2: laying it out with
3: ESG scores. Why do you think they're doing it? Control. That? I control what you want to do. I can try dictate the terms. You know, I, I dictate the terms on what you need to do. Like Even when they talk about environmental, most of these companies are not doing anything to improve the environment. They use it as a, we're doing this because climate change is a real crisis, and we're being noble because we're worried about the future, but then behind closed doors, that's not what's showing up. You know, we're just fighting after a score. When when we were selling our insurance company, I'll never forget this, we're meeting with a bunch of buyers. Now, the company we built, insurance, the average agent was a a 56-year-old white male. That was the life insurance industry. Like, think about a life insurance agent. What does that person look like? They don't look like this. Right. Okay. okay. So in America it was 56 year old white male. Well, I said I'm going to go a completely different angle. When we sold the insurance company, our average agent was a 34 year old Hispanic female. So I'm going and talking to buyers. One of the buyers we talked to, they're like, Hey, we're having a hard time recruiting African Americans and Hispanics to want to come work for companies like ours. We need it because we need to increase our DI score. What's your DI score? And we show our DI score. These are your numbers. Yeah. You see them talking to each other when we step out. Well, you know, I think our board would like to learn a little bit more because this would be a great partnership for us because this can help us with our DI score. You shouldn't buy us because we're diverse. You should buy right. us because we're a good investment. So so the decision-making process is being diluted simply based on pleasing the people at the top that are giving these guys a score. Does, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So versus Go produce a better product. Be more competitive. Let the guys compete in the free marketplace, and let's see who wins. And how long ago did this get implemented? This is not a. a this is not something that's been around for a long time. ESG is a recent thing uh, that they started. They originally started with something called a PRI, which I want to say if you can type in ESG PRI, I think it's two thousand and six. I want to say when they started off with this, and then gradually. There is the uh, HRC organization that was now given, you know, uh, uh, CEI scores, and then they started giving DEI scores, but it started off with uh, 2006, PRI, some of this stuff. And if you go a little bit further back, this started a long time ago by uh, uh, another person who um, wanted to kind of indoctrinate businesses, control businesses. They didn't like businesses that were having as much power as they were having, but it's recently that's turned into what it is today. Where people are actually concerned about their scores
2: and so you think this was a strategic decision to try to gain more control over corporations and to do through do so through the guise of social justice and environmental protection.
3: Yes, so think about um, you know Equifax, transunion and you know. What's the last one? I'm forgetting one of them. Equifax TransUnion. Who's the third one that does your credit score? Equifax TransUnion. There's one other one that does it, right? When you want to buy a house, if you got a credit score of 600, what are you going to do? You're not going to get that house. You're not going to get the best rate you want, right? So people, I got to increase my FICA score. Why don't you come back a year from now, two years from now? Let's get a pre-approval letter based on your credit is improved and all this. Okay, that's, that's okay because we're getting, we're getting responsible people to buy a house. No problem, I'll make my car payment, I'll do all this other stuff. But imagine if now they, they say, Joe, you don't have enough gay friends. You don't have enough gay employees. You don't have enough black employees. You, know, you don't have enough this, you don't have enough that. Then you're sitting there saying, guy, I'm just running a company. I'm hiring whoever's qualified that wants my job. It could be anybody that's qualified. You're no longer making decisions based on what's best for your company. You're making decisions because you want to get that loan. You want to raise that capital. You want to raise that mm-hmm. money. And the amount of control, I can, I can tell you a bunch of different stats on uh, what uh, uh, Fink's and Wall Street, State Street and what Vanguard, what these guys are doing. They have a lot of power in America today.
2: So you think this is a premeditated strategy in order to gain control?
3: 100%. I'm convinced in in that side, absolutely. And they got a lot. And by the way, it's not one industry. Every industry, like imagine in every industry, there's a power player, right? Media was Rupert Murdoch. If you watch Rupert Murdoch's, what he owns, they own marketwatch.com. Most people don't know that. That's under News Corp. You know, Fox News, Rupert Murdoch owns Wall Street Journal. Most people don't know that. That's owned by News Corp. Same company that owns Fox News. So, okay. Guess what? Rupert is a power player in the media space. Good for you. Ted Turner is a power player in the media space until he sold the CNN, Time Warner, all that stuff. Up until that, Ted Warner was uh, Ted uh, uh, Turner was the guy, right? He ran for president one time. He was the guy, right? So he bought the Hawks, he bought the Falcons. I think he owned the, uh, you know, Hawks at one point. He owned all these things. You know, he bought channels. He bought this. He bought that. He was the guy. Great, no problem but imagine now there's power players that control 50 industries. That's a real power player. It's not a Musk who owns Tesla, is worth $200 billion, and you know is doing his businesses, and I'm gonna make Twitter into the next WeChat and it's gonna be worth a trillion dollars. That's great. These guys collectively, they're sitting on $70 trillion of power. That's why Elon tweeted on and said satanic is what the S stands for in ESG. So it's no longer power player by industry, it's power player of all industries. 88% of S&P 500 company, one of those three companies is the largest shareholder.
2: That's pretty fucking crazy. That's
3: crazy, yeah. So it's, it's like a form of monopoly that's not illegal. It's a form of monopoly that's not illegal. Wow. Somebody's gotta break that apart. And it's going to be, the person to do that's got to be the right guy to do that.
2: Is that possible?
3: (sighs) I think the more you talk, like what did you do, Joe? The more you talk about a topic, the more everybody says, that can't be true. And then what do we do? Oh, shit, ivermectin, India, so what? Hydrox, what, what are you talking about? So why is this such a big deal? Wait, and then you go four hours one night till one o'clock in the morning, kids are asleep, and we've all gone through it. During COVID, we all did that. What What is going on here, right? Okay, so the more we talk about this, the more people are gonna go do this, and they're gonna say, oh shit, this is actually happening. And then the more people talk about it, then we the people have been fooled to not realize we have the power. Guys like you have validated in the last three years that we do have the power. And if we do our research and question things the right way, respectful way, people have to respond. Eventually, they're cornered. This is not something a lot of people have talked about. It's not something a lot of people are looking at.
2: It's just fascinating that it's connected to this social government. The, the, the like this social movement, the social justice movement, is connected to just pure evil capitalism. That's that's. It's wild. Oh, totally. It's a real yeah. good con game. Because the people that are involved in the social
3: justice aspect of it think they're doing the right thing. It's it sold and packaged so well, Joe. It's packaged so well. Yeah. Half the battle is how you package your message, right? Yeah. If you think about Trump's packaging with his message, great message. He beats Hillary right? DeSantis is packaging of his message. It's not packaged well, right? Right. Um, yeah, I I think this is a, um, it's one of the things we have to be concerned about. We got to recognize who the heroes are. We got to address the drug issue that we're having with the borders. We got to kind of see what's going on with these monopolies that no one's looking at. Like no one's looking at this stuff. And you know, what is a monopoly? Are we really enforcing our monopoly law? Yeah, I don't know if we are. There's a reason why we have the monopoly law, so the big guy cannot bully the other guy, right? Right. You know, when, when they pitch stuff like, we need to raise the minimum wage, the bigger companies love it when you do that. Trust me, the big companies love it when they raise minimum. Amazon loves it. Walmart loves it when you raise minimum wage. Keep saying raise minimum wage. They don't have a prime going from 13 bucks to 15 bucks to 20 bucks. They They could care less if you keep doing that. Because they're going to raise their margins by 20% or whatever it is and make the money back on the back end. They're not dumb. And you're still going to buy it. We're still going to buy it. We don't have a choice. But it's going to put that guy across the street out of business. So the more small businesses go out of business and fewer small businesses we have, the more these big companies are controlling us. Like, you know, this whole thing with banks going out of business and Chase bought a couple of them and these guys bought a couple of them. This is helping the bigger guys. Jamie Dimon's sitting there saying, oh, you know what? Let's keep raising and we have to do the responsible thing because the bigger guys get to buy the small community banks or the regional banks. This favors them. So this concept about, you know, the bigger guys don't want to raise the minimum wage. It's the small business owner that doesn't want to raise the minimum wage. That's the guy in Kansas who cannot afford it. So you need to leave that guy alone and you need to control New York. Like making 15 bucks in New York, dude, you don't have a life. So I understand New York's minimum wage has got to be different. But New York's minimum wage has got nothing to do with Kansas. It's got nothing to do with Oklahoma. It's got nothing to do with North Dakota. right? It's got nothing to do with some of these places that can't afford to have a number like that happen. Okay. But the Walmarts, the Amazons, the bigger guys are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what, Bernie Sanders? You make a lot of sense. We're going to do the noble thing. And moving forward, Amazon, we're going to put our minimum wage at 15 bucks. That guy's working at Joey's Liquor Store or Joey's Market across the street that's been there for 72 years, passed down in three generations. He goes to Joey and says, hey, listen, bro. I know you're Joey the third. I got to go work at Amazon. They're offering 15 bucks an hour. And I'm only 18 years old. I'm only 19 years old. Because you're only offering me 1220. Now that guy's going to say, okay, I'll go to 15 bucks as well. Totally get it. But that guy gives a richer benefit. Now he has to raise the prices. Now families go to Amazon. So, capitalism, if we eliminate a lot of these small business owners, man, it's a very problematic issue. They get to raise the prices whatever they want to raise it to.
2: Well, we saw a lot of that during COVID, right? I mean, that's what benefited people during the lockdowns. Who benefited? The large businesses. Mm-hmm. Large businesses that were labeled as essential, while small, small businesses were forced to stay shut,
3: which was wild. How many restaurants shut down? It
2: was in Los Angeles at one point in time, it was more than 70%
3: think about most restaurants have a story. You know, you go to a restaurant, you know, you're like, so how'd you guys start this place? Right. How many of these guys do you? Oh, we have three of them. How did it get started? Mm -hmm. Guy named, you know, Louis started it 48 years ago and his son did this and now his, you know, grandson is running it. Mm -hmm. It's freaking awesome. It's the American dream, bro. It's awesome. Yeah. Son is not making 200 grand a year and he's doing okay for himself and restaurant is his. Boom. 48 years. Gone. Gone. The average person is like, Yeah, it's just a restaurant. It's not a big deal. That family's legacy, that dad busted his ass in the 60s or the 70s to pass this down to his son and his grandson, that guy's dream is done. You know how we go to funerals and you're sitting there saying, oh, man, that guy's crying pretty bad. You know, he lost his mom. Man, I don't want to go through this. One day he's going, look at that guy. He lost his wife or he did this. You cry, right? It is just as emotional to me when a small business that's ran by a regular family, they've kept it in, they made their own money. They didn't rely on the government. They didn't ask for handouts. They busted their asses. Restaurant is a tough business. You lost your business. That's a funeral. That's a lot of funerals that we had. All those stories, all the going to bed, you're laying next to your wife and you're saying, Babe, you know what I'm watching about Gary? What, babe? I think he's going to run the restaurant one day. And wife says, Babe, I feel it as well. I'm so happy. It's going to be so great that's gary that's the father and the mother's dream that put so much time into it in, in our community there's a family they bought three houses right and a mom and dad started this medical company and they grew it. they got seven thousand employees today and now both sons are living next to them each son has four kids and you go into their house tradition here's what we do tuesdays mondays da 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 da, da. You know, what a great story I look at the mom and dad, and you see, mom and dad, the founders are always a little bit rougher because they're the ones that pay the price. You can always feel, you know, there's a certain dynamic to it. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, um, you know, to me, a Trump candidate, uh, I, I really wanted DeSantis to play ball. I really was, when I read his book, I'm like, okay, this guy's going to come out and announce now. When he came out with his book, he didn't. I think they missed the mark. We moved to Florida because of DeSantis, is what we moved to Florida for. You know, we were living in. LA and I was going to move the media company to potentially Newport Beach because I like Newport Beach. We were looking at Greenwich to be right outside of New York so we can recruit talent. We looked at Nashville. We thought about staying in Dallas and we thought about Tampa and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, the way COVID is going, babe, we're going to Florida. We went and rented a house Christmas in Fort Lauderdale and I said, we're moving to Florida because of DeSantis. But I think Trump is a guy that I, I think he's the only guy that's shown him and RFK that are willing to go up against some of these guys but RFK's gotta go through a guy named Joe. And the establishment Democrats, there's no way they're gonna give the platform to him.
2: Do you think they can stop it?
3: Him? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. My idea would have been, you know, like I, I say, hey, if you can't run as a third party, apparently he can't now if they don't do it, he can't go back and run as a third party. I think you have to run as a third party from day one. You know, <sighs> do I think they can stop it? Um, If Joe steps out, RFK can get in. Like if Joe steps out and Newsom comes in, they have to debate. Like imagine Newsom-RFK debate. Dude, that's sick. Don't you want to see that? Yeah. I'd love to see that, right? But Joe has to step out for them to fight forward. So that has to happen. I don't know if that's going to be happening.
2: I think they have to be very careful about that too. Because like when does he step out? I just can't imagine they think they're going to run him. Joe? Yeah. I just can't imagine it. I couldn't, I couldn't believe they were running him in 2020. And now when you see how compromised he's been over the last three years, I mean, he's just falling down randomly and r- runoff sentence. He said he cured cancer the other day. Did
3: you see that? Yeah, of course. He's out. He's out. He's gone. Joe's not there anymore. You think mainstream's turned on him yet, or not fully yet? They're starting to.
2: Right. There's rumblings that they're starting to, because I think they're concerned that he's a liability now, a significant liability. Yeah. And the more this corruption stuff comes out, the more that narrative gets out there, the more people are going to recognize, like this, this is not a hero. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, listen. I just don't know what they do. But they got to move quickly. Yeah. If that's the plan, Dems got to move August quickly. August of twenty twenty two. I know.
2: There's not much time left.
3: No. You know, when Trump ran in 15, you know when he announced? When? It was on his birthday, whatever his birthday is. I think he's born on June 12th or June 14th. He announced on June 12th or June 4th. It's one of those two days is his birthday, right, when he announced. Okay. July, August. You guys kind of got to figure it out what you're going to be doing because the longer you go and you say it ain't going to be, you know, Joe. Yeah. They're, They're not they're not helping themselves because it's just helping RFK. Right. So the longer Dems go, let's just say their play is to get rid of Joe. Is Newsom gonna get enough playing time to create the momentum to be the guy? I don't know. <sighs> you, know you know what I'm asking? Yeah. Like I think he needs momentum to, to bring it up. I think it's gonna take a minute.
2: It's fascinating. It really is. It's bizarre.
3: I think it's going to take a minute. So I, w- I want to give you the gifts I got you, bro. Okay. I want to give you the gifts that I got you here. Um, so for me, I got five of them. Let me see if all five of them are here. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, let me see if I got one of them. Uh, did he bring the other one as well? One more that's outside, I think.
2: Huh? I, don't know which, I don't know which is outside. There's a there's box. Sam, if you're watching, it, the,
3: the it's a small box. Yes. Yeah, if you can bring that one that'd be great. Uh, first one. Okay, so I'm betting myself, I think you're going to love one of them. I hope it goes in your comedy club. Okay. Okay. I think uh, the other ones are going to be like, whatever, because you could buy it yourself. But then the other two, I think one of them may make it on the wall. It's a competition because you got like 100 pieces sitting around that's not on the wall. Okay. okay? So we'll see what's going to happen. First of all, so you're a Jimi Hendrix guy right? I yes. think you're a Jimi Hendrix yes. guy. Perfect. I, I got this. I, I, we looked up to see what we can do with Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix did a, Montblanc did a special Jimi Hendrix pen that while you're sitting here writing stuff, I know you're probably not a big guy that you care about having a fancy pen or not, but we got you the special uh, limited edition uh, Montblanc pen with Jimi Hendrix. Oh, I hope you like it. I'm sure okay? like it. So that's one. Two, I think, uh, when I think about personalities that kind of push the envelope a little bit, uh, presidents in the past that were anti-establishment people that pushed the envelope, one of the names you think about, you think about a guy named Andrew Jackson. Okay. So, I, I, this took me a minute to find this, but this is a letter written by Andrew Jackson, president, signed at the bottom wow. with COA, and he is known as the first ever anti-establishment president, minus the founding fathers. So I hope you like this. This represents that aspect of you. That's okay. amazing. So that's this part. Now, next one. You've gone down the rabbit hole with John F. Kennedy assassination, what happened there, yeah. what happened to him, all this other stuff. So let me see what we can find with this. This took us a minute to find as well. This piece, Joe, is the actual let me see this here. This is the actual Warren Commission letter. Okay. Signed by Gerald Ford. Okay, the letter to the right is the Warren Commission. Then you have the autograph of Jack Ruby. Then you got the autograph of Lee Harvey Oswald, and you got the autograph of John F. Kennedy. Wow. Okay. So I hope you like this a with the letter C-O-A, yeah. all of it. Okay. <laughs> and then the last one, I'm convinced this is the one that I think you're going to like a lot. Okay. This last one took us a minute to find. Okay. i put it here if you don't mind. So, oh, man. This one was work, bro. I hope you like it. Okay. Who's one of your favorite comedians of all time?
2: Uh, Richard Pryor.
3: Who else? Lenny Bruce. Okay. So I called around and I spoke to Lenny Bruce's daughter, Kitty, okay? I don't know if they know who she is or not, yeah, so I spoke her. to her, yeah. And I said, guys, I wanna find something special for Joe that's tied with Lenny Bruce. So you open up a comedy shop. Um, this is with um, the, the, what do you call it, when you're doing a, the, is it a stand? Mic stand? Mic stand, yeah. okay. When he would go on the road, he had a mic stand and a mic that he would use. I think this is from 1959. This is the original mic wow. Lenny Bruce used, okay.
2: Wow. I know where that's going. That's going to the club.
3: <laughs> so now if you don't want to do it that way, you want to put the stand, we got the stand there as well. Oh no, come on man, that's if perfect you on the put wall, the frame, you got the frame.
2: Yeah, we need the frame. That's amazing.
3: So, you know, for me, when I was, you know, we were wanting to come down sooner, that was the missing piece. That's the one I wanted to get for you.
2: Wow.
3: And uh, I said, let's wait till we get that and then we'll come and present it to him. That's incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. I know for a guy like you, Joe, it takes, you know, when people give me gifts, it's kind of hard to get a gift for somebody that they're gonna have a reaction to because you can buy all this stuff yourself but People the hard thing that. is finding it yeah that's incredible yeah so by the way there's letters handwritten letters by him uh how he took notes to prepare with his jokes we got all that stuff in the back as well wow sam will give it to you later on wow Yeah.
2: thank you that's amazing yeah that's amazing
3: anytime brother so
2: It's the most shit anybody's ever given me. Really? There you go. (laughs) It's (laughs) like Christmas.
3: I I got that for you. And by the way, my my book is coming out in December. I mean, you can't buy the book right now. My book comes out December 5th. But they sent me the first copy of the book. It's titled Choose Your Enemies Wisely. And it's not an easy thing to choose your enemies wisely. Most people choose the wrong enemies. Uh, Portfolio sent us the first copy of Choose Your Enemies Wisely. And my first copy they gave to me, I'm giving to you, brother. Thank you. Again, people can't buy it till December 5th, uh, but uh, these are gifts from us to you. Uh, you're a very important guy. Uh, you're, you're a super likable guy. When I'm talking to your guys and I said, so how's it feel working here, man? He says, man, Joe's the coolest guy to work for. We love Joe. Everybody loves you. You know, For what you've been able to do with the last few years, um, I got a lot of respect for you. Uh, there's a level of admiration for you. There's true love for you, there's true protection for you. I have a natural uh, uh, tendency of protecting people that um, I think are needed to be protected. You don't need any protection when it comes into a street fight. I can't protect you in a street fight, bro, that's you. You know how to fight and take care of yourself. But I think there's gotta be people that fight in different ways, their weapon is a different weapon. My weapon is words, and my weapon is the way I process issues. You got a guy here that, is going to be fighting for you for a long time, bro. Well, thank you. I feel the same
2: way about you. I have a lot of respect and love for you as well. I appreciate you, yeah. I think you're a very important voice out there. And I think, you know, what you do is very admirable. And you don't have to do it. This is not how you made your money. This is just something that you decided to pursue because you have interest in it and because you think it's important. And I, I admire that a lot.
3: I appreciate that. Well,
2: thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. thanks I for having it. me. Anytime, it was great. We'll do it again. We'll do it again My when man. your book comes out. All good. Sounds All right. good. Either yeah,
3: way. thank you. Thank you very thank much. Appreciate yeah. it. Bye.